Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. If you love to travel, you love cool experiences, I think you're going to love Viator. If you haven't heard, Viator is the world's leading travel experience marketplace. They've got everything from simple tours to extreme adventures, all the cool and interesting stuff in between as well. Well, this year, my wife and kids are making one of my bucket list trips come true. We're going to Sun Valley. So we're going to fly to Sun Valley, and I tell you, the thought of bringing skis, poles, boots, snowboards, everything overwhelming. But that's where Viator came in. They made this incredibly easy. I just opened the Viator app, searched Sun Valley, and boom, Viator arranges a first-class experience, custom ski, snowboard, and boot fittings and tickets delivered right to the condo. It's pretty amazing. Experiences are what we love most about travel. They create these long-lasting moments and make memories that will last a lifetime. Just download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking. One app, over 300,000 experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Officially an even strength goal. Blues don't pick up the guy loose on the backside. Malkin sweeps it near side. Door it comes. Tap in goal. Kapanen. Plus walks it in. Back door off his skating in. 5-2 Pittsburgh. This one's over. Penguins beat the Blues by a score of 6-2. Out shoot them 38-28. We're going to go to New York trying to snap a three-game losing streak at the Garden. Well, the Blues have lost three in a row. They have lost four of their or five of their last six at this yeah, point. On, I, don't the take numbers away are one all kind of running together. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Tanner's got jury duty today. I think I'm allowed to say that. Not totally sure. My uh, bad if I'm not. BK, Brandon <laughs> Kylie, if anybody heard that, and that was illegal. It's Brandon BK Ferrario Kiley. here on 101 ESPN. Alex, it, it feels like I'm watching the same show on repeat it's at Groundhog's this point. Hogs Day. And I want out. I don't want to watch this show anymore. It's no longer fun for me. Have you watched Groundhog's Day from start to finish? Yeah, it's a great it's movie. It's a great movie. I don't like this version. It gets better as you watch it, though. Like the 14th, 15th, 172nd time, it's fantastic. What is going on with this team? How do they get out of this? <laughs> I, I don't. 
I don't know if you can get out of this. I think the only way you get out of this is if is if somebody in that locker room basically grabs a hold of everyone. You know you know how somebody gets a hold of this? Somebody in that locker room does what Jacob Truba did the other night for the New York Rangers. Now, maybe not as pouty as he did it on the ice, but Truba lays a big hit against Athanasiu against the Chicago Blackhawks. His team's getting beat four to one. Throws a big hit, gets into a fist fight, is escorted off the ice, chucks his helmet at the boards, and then yells at his bench. And then calls out his team afterwards and says, like, we've got to start getting guys who want to compete. We got to start getting guys who want to play a full 60 minutes. Maybe that works, maybe that doesn't. Joey's talked about it a lot with me where sometimes when you get those rah-rah guys, you can read them like a book and it doesn't go very far. I feel like the Blues had that this weekend. It didn't really work. What do you mean? Jordan Bennington called okay. out the other team. Okay. He did the whole hand to the face thing, and it was like, oh, cool, we're doing this again. And then his coach called him out afterwards. Well, so we'll, we'll get into that a little I, bit I don't, later. I don't think I don't think this team needs a rah-rah speech. I don't think this team is missing like a hey, we can all rally around this together. Like No, but they need I think guys. they just need to play better. Well, they need to they need to have guys willing to put a little provide a little spark on the ice like nobody's doing that right now uh, it's you're just going through the motions if you're the blues currently you're starting the game you're starting off to where it's zero zero one goal it goes in from the opposition and the next thing you know you're allowing three goals it's been six consecutive games that the blues have allowed three or more goals in a period they've done it 14 times this season 14 out of their 24 games, they've allowed three or more goals in one period. Their goal differential is third worst in the Western Conference. So you're going through the motions right now. You're doing the same thing. You can keep doing this and saying, well, we get a full 60 minute effort. We're going to get through it. I don't even think that's going to get it done for you because you had a full 60 minute effort against Edmonton, Colorado and Vegas. And you know what followed those losing streaks? They're going to have to get somebody who's willing to go against the norm of what this blues team is doing and that's the only way you're going to find your way out of this here's another problem and this will tell you everything you need to know just watching this whether bennington's in the right or or the wrong whenever he does his antics nobody's coming to his his support nobody's coming and defending him he gets bumped into it seems like nobody cares it's it's bennington all by himself and nobody is standing up for each other on this team and, and that can show you right there that the heart and the the commitment to play for each other just isn't there right now we talked about that post game alex the last game against pittsburgh yeah it's not there i, I mean i watched that dallas stars and minnesota wild game and bk i know you were glued to that yesterday yeah not nfl sunday it's mm -hmm. hockey sunday no but dallas is down five to one in the third period with like 15 minutes to go they get back in the hockey game mason marchment one of their toughest players gets hit along the boards clean hit by Jacob Middleton and next thing you know you've got three players jumping into that scrum I mean he's not off there I mean there are so many different instances as to why this team is struggling but it does all come back to the fact that they're creating zero offense and they're spending more time in their own zone than they are the their are yeah their own zone rather than the opposition zone. so Randy said something earlier today on the morning show that struck a chord with me oh made yeah? me think a little bit got a little angry I appreciate Randy for that. Here's what he had to say. I want to react to it on the other side. Things just have conspired against the Blues. And I don't see anybody on this team where 
either I say, man, that person's dramatically underperforming and that's going to change things. And I don't see anybody where they're doing things where I say, that's not real. Like Bushnevich, I I call that, Mm -hmm. right? He's playing great. And Kairou and Thomas, those guys. And I, I think, unfortunately, you've reached a point now where you're over 30 guys, especially O'Reilly and Shen and Krug, have kind of fallen off the cliff. Now he struck a chord with me. He can't steal my – I called that with Pavel Buchnevich. That's my line. Yeah, you, you definitely did. What he's saying there is basically you're not getting a bunch of dudes that are completely underperforming relative to expectations. Now, have there been stretches of games where we've said to ourselves – Man, what happened to Jordan Kyrou? Yeah, at the beginning of the year, he was cold, but now he's on pace for 65 points on the year, including 30 goals. We said recently, man, you need more out of Vladimir Tarasenko. Guess what? He's on pace this season for 62 points in 72 games. It's not all that different from a typical Vladimir Tarasenko season. Robert Thomas on pace for 72 points. Pavel Buchnevich on pace for exactly one point per game that he's played so far this year. He's on pace for 65 points in 65 games. Braden Shin on pace for 60 points this year. Ryan O'Reilly on pace for about 40 points this year. If there's anybody that is on pace for a lower point total than you're typical typically expecting out of them, it's Ryan O'Reilly. What's gone wrong? Well, he's on pace for 24 goals. Pretty damn good. The problem is he doesn't have the line mates that he's had in recent years, and therefore his assist numbers are down compared to where you would typically expect them to be. So what's changed for this team? Where where are you expecting them to get that big-time performance? Man, I don't know. I, I don't know where that's coming from because right now, it's not as if you had a guy that, like last year at this time, Alex, we had David Perron who was either hurt or underperforming relative to expectations. Braden Shen early in the season, hurt, underperforming relative to expectations. And then those guys went on a tear in the second half of the season, and you could see how that would happen because they've got a track record. Who on this team right now, offensively at least, we'll get to the defensive side here in a second, but offensively, who is underperforming compared to what we expected out of them this year? Is there there anybody? I got two guys. I I mean, Ivan Barbashev's one of them. But is he actually underperforming relative to what we expected well, him to be? you came into this season, the decision to move on from David Perron was because, well, we have eight other guys who scored 20 or more goals. Yeah, but we knew that was fluky with him. But we might have known that. But, I mean, his, his history, but the, 7, 14, 11, 5, those are his seasons in terms of goal production. And then last year, 26. Yeah, but hear me out, I think though. the other years are probably more in line with what I expected. But hear me out, though. We knew that. But the expectation coming into the season was... He's a top nine player for us, and he's not playing like a top nine player for them. And the other one is Brandon Saad. Brandon Saad's got five goals on the season. Brandon Saad's got six points on the season in 17 games. Brandon Saad is supposed to be a top six winger for you. That's why I kind of did this last year, though, too, where it was. It's really the assists that are down. He's on pace for 17 goals right now. He gets a few assists in a game and boom, all of a sudden we're talking about him being right in line with what we expected. But I think when you look at Brandon Saad, you're looking at a power play guy who has zero power play goals this season. And you're looking at a guy who's playing in your top six. And right now, Brandon Saad's averaging 16 minutes and 43 seconds. So as much as I could sit here and say... It goes yeah. back to the Ryan O'Reilly line too, is kind of exactly. the issue there. And is I, O'Reilly and Saad both have like and honestly, five assists total on the season. I think I could I think I could hear people if they argued Ryan O'Reilly's underperformed. So like, as much as I could sit here and say, yeah, these guys are performing up to the expectations in Kairou and Thomas and Buchnevich and Vladimir Tarasenko, but that's four guys. And you came into the season expecting to have a top nine that was just as good as last season for you. Some people did. 
some of us push back on that notion because you were trying to replace a guy that was a consistent 50 to 60 point producer in David Perron with guys that had zero track record of being consistent NHL players. But I think I'm looking at the expectations from the front office and how they built this team and why we are sitting at this point right now. Because the other two guys that we didn't even mention, which you didn't have any expectations for, I had very little. Logan Brown and, and Jake, Jake Neighbors. Neighbors. So, so you have four guys arguably five guys, Braden Shen being that one, who are performing up to the expectations of this front office. But that's five out of nine, five out of 12 that you were coming into the season with. And then you throw Noel Chari's name into this and he's exceeding expectations. Yeah. That's part of the reason why we're sitting at this point though. Well, let's go back to the defensive core then. Because even if, like, I, I think we just disagree on the, the forwards and wh whether or not we should have expected more out of them. The place where I do think you could have and should have expected more is the defensive core. And they're just not meeting those expectations right now. Tori Krug has been very disappointing for me. I think Justin Falk has been fine, but this is not the player that he was last year. Colton Pareko doesn't look like himself this season. I, I don't know if it's an injury or if he's hurt, but there's clearly something. When you see a guy that's not playing as well as you would expect him to, a lot of the time there's an easy explanation for that. Probably dealing with something that's nagging on him. And Nick Letty has just been okay this year. The defensive core for me is really what I would point to. And this relates back to the penalty kill, which was atrocious once again on Saturday night. They're the second worst now penalty kill wise in the NHL. And in this stretch of five losses, they've allowed a power play goal on seven of the 13 opportunities against them. It's a 54% power play percentage. Guys, the best power play unit in the NHL is the Avs at 30%. It's awful, absolutely awful. And so it's all relating back to that. And that is a personnel issue. And that is something that I do not think that you can fix midway through the season. This yeah, time. I said this on post game Saturday night. Like we could sit here and discuss Jim Montgomery not being here. I just don't buy into it. A penalty kill doesn't go from being one of the best in the NHL to the worst in the NHL with the same personnel on their roster. In fact, you've actually improved personnel because you put Nolachari on this roster and now you have a full season of Nick Letty on this roster. You can't go from one to the other and then all of a sudden say, well, it's because you don't have Jim Montgomery here. It's the same personnel that you've got out there. The penalty kill, Craig Berube has talked about this post-game, pre-game, and with Chris Kerber. It, it it comes down to compete on the penalty kill and you're not getting the compete from the players and you're not getting the performance from your goaltender. The goaltender has to be your best penalty killer and he's given up goals. Despite them being backdoor tap-ins, you're not getting the compete from the five men on the ice and the penalty kill. Somebody says the PK is missing Bozak. I think you can make an Nola argument Chari. that Nolachari has been better this yeah. year than Bozak was last year. I, I don't think that's it. I don't think it's just the coaching thing. I think there's a bunch of stuff that's gone wrong for the Blues this year, and it is showing itself on the penalty kill. It's showing itself with their lack of five-man defensive play in their own zone. It's showing itself by the fact that earlier today, apparently right after practice, Craig Berube said that one of the things that he wanted the team to work on during their morning skate was, quote, to feel free to shoot the puck every once in a while. It's that's, not going well a, for the Blues. That's a good comment from a head coach. I, I think that that is a, a probably a good thing for this team to work on. They'll, we'll see if they did indeed work on that. When pregame starts today at 5 o'clock, their Blues are in New York to take on another struggling team that we thought was going to be a contender this year 
in the New York Rangers. Alex will have pregame starting at 5. We'll have puck drop right here on your home for the Blues. 101 ESPN beginning at 6 o'clock. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters, including... What are we expecting out of the Bengals now? Are they suddenly the number one team in the AFC? Not just as a threat to the Chiefs, but to overtake them as the best team in that conference. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, we see your text. We're going to react to it on the other side. Sounds like Sean Murphy could be the first catcher traded. Is it going to be to the Cardinals? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oakland doesn't need to do a one-on-one deal, right? Yeah, you know, they may ask for for Gorman, then they get a no. Okay, that's fine. But I think if they can get two or three of that next level kind of prospect tier three, uh, and, and Oakland can get a package of three guys or four guys, I think that's the direction they're going to want to go because they just have too many needs. That was Jim Bowden on a few weeks ago <laughs> talking about the Cardinals' interest in Sean Murphy. And it sounds like, according to Mark Feinsand, uh, he is going to be the first catcher that is traded. They're expecting something to get done in the not-too-distant future. Feinsand reported yesterday the A's are, quote, close to a trade, end quote. The first time that he tweeted this out said he believed that it was going to be to the Braves. Then the Braves president of baseball operations apparently called Mark Feinsand and said, hey, Maybe there's going to be a deal done. It ain't going to be with us. So then he said, ah, the teams that are actually most connected with Sean Murphy are the Cardinals, the Rays, the Guardians, and the Red Sox. We'll talk about that coming up here in just a minute. But, Alex, there is some breaking news in Major League Baseball that does impact the National League. Not the Cardinals, Uh, though, directly, at least. I don't care. The New York Mets reportedly have a deal in place with Justin Verlander. This is pending medicals, but this is going to get done if it's uh, already at that point. Andy Martino of SNY.com has this, says it's a two-year deal with a third-year vesting option for Verlander with the Mets. The average annual value is expected to become something close to what Max Scherzer is making, so $40-plus million on a per-year basis. DeGrom leaves yesterday. Justin Verlander's er, over the weekend. Verlander signs today. Any quick overall reaction to the Mets signing Justin Verlander in the free agent market, Alex? Because I think they just got better today, personally, than when they had DeGrom. uh, What's Rick Porcello and Doug Fister doing? Because it'd be nice if the Mets just wanted to put together the 2012 Detroit Tigers rotation. Um, I I mean, look, they they basically just deterred away from Jacob DeGrom, who might might have gotten overpaid with what he did by Texas and the injury history that he has had, and they just got a dude who is consistently one of the best pitchers every season. They absolutely improved because their rotation is lethal right now. And this is going to be the interesting part of the offseason because everyone's saying you might as well bulk up on starting pitching. And that was probably, I guess, their shortcomings in the postseason, which is odd to say because they had such a good one-two punch in Scherzer and DeGrom. It's a two-year deal worth $86 million, according to John Heyman. That's Hot the damn. official money for Justin Verlander. It's good money if you could have done it. that. I mean, yeah. I would have done that. I, I agree. It's easy for us to say that that would have, like, doubled what the Cardinals have available to them in terms of their offseason budget. So I understand why they wouldn't be in that market. But... If I'm the if I'm the a Mets fan today, I'm saying to myself, okay, 
So we got a guy that has been more consistent, is more available, and just had a Cy Young year last year in the American League for the Houston Astros. And oh, by the way, it's pretty darn good for them in the playoffs as well. And we replaced Jacob deGrom, who, when healthy, has been excellent over the last few years. But he has pitched as many innings in the last two years as Justin Verlander did last year for the Astros. That's that's a good trade-off to me. And you got him for two years instead of five, and you got him at roughly the same average annual value. That's a smart deal for the Mets. I think they got better today as a result. The Cardinals are hoping to get better this offseason as well, Alex. And it, it sounds like Sean Murphy is at least in play for them. I would guess this deal probably gets done at some point over the next couple of days while the winter meetings are taking place. Do you think that the Cardinals are going to be the team that actually gets there? Now that we know Cardinals, Rays, Guardians, Red Sox, there's at least four teams that are interested and involved in these talks. Do you think they're the team that gets it done? I, I don't. I'm still very skeptical that they're the team that actually pulls the trigger on it because the other two teams involved, I feel like, have better chips they're willing to move on from. Like, I've heard that Cleveland is willing to move on from Cal Con uh, Cantrell. Quantrell. Quantrell, thank you. I apologize. I've heard that they're willing to move on from a Zach Plezak and their starting pitchers. And if they're going to make that trade, I don't think the Cardinals can comp to that because I don't think they're going to be willing to move on from the pieces. I think the only way the Cardinals are going to get Sean Murphy is if all of these other teams say, nope, that's too steep of a price for us to pay. We're stepping out. And then the Cardinals swoop in and say, we still got this offer for you, whether it's Lars Newtbar or Nolan Gorman, whatever it might be. It seems like the price is still steep. And if those teams are involved, those teams are always willing to give up the high price to get a player, whereas the Cardinals aren't. Yeah, I, I just – I would like Sean Murphy. I, I think he Sean makes Murphy. a lot of sense for the Cardinals. I think he's the best catcher overall that is available this offseason. That includes Wilson Contreras. That includes uh, whoever your favorite Blue Jays catcher is. It certainly includes, like, Omar Narvaez and <laughs> Mike Zunino, whoever your favorite <laughs> of the mid-tier. I think the best catcher that could be available this offseason is Sean Murphy. Full stop. I think that helps their offseason, too, if they can acquire Sean Murphy, because what you're going to have to give up to get Sean Murphy, you can maybe fix it in free agency still. Potentially. The, the problem is, like, if you end up trading for Murphy and it costs you, I don't know, Tink Hintz and Nolan Gorman and Matthew Liberator or something like that, right? It's a, it's just this massive haul that's going in the direction of the guard or in the direction of the A's. I don't know if that's something that the Cardinals are going to be willing to do. So it's really about their willingness more so than it is whether or not they should. And we've seen this in the past where the, the price gets high, whether it be money, years, or prospects, and the Cardinals balk at that. The asking price is just too much for them. They don't have the stomach for it. So my guess would be no. I, I think they end up either in the mid-tier free agent market or the mid-tier trade market, which probably is Danny Jansen. Danny Jansen. I, that, that feels more likely for them. Derek Gould reported overnight that the Cardinals have plans to meet with the representatives for Wilson Contreras, Christian Vazquez, and to have other conversations with teams like Toronto and Oakland, both of whom are entertaining offer, uh, offers for their catchers. They have also had discussions this winter about the fit potential with free agent catchers Omar Narvaez and Mike Zanino. Those don't fit, so stop trying to. It's like when you pull out a shirt that you used to wear in high school and be like, I can get into this, and your stomach's hanging out. It can't fit. I, I continue to believe that if I could have my pick of the catchers that are available, my first choice, given the co cost, 
prospect-wise, given the cost money-wise in terms of what you're going to have to pay him over the next few years, given the age, given everything that goes into this. You seem like a Mike Zanino guy. I, I'm an Alejandro Kirk guy. That That's okay. my personal preference for who the Cardinals acquire this offseason to be their catcher of the present and the future. Ben Fredrickson wrote today that his guy is Wilson Contreras. He thinks that that's who they should go out there and acquire. Alex, I don't have a problem with Wilson Contreras. I like the idea of him here in St. Louis. And if he wasn't going to cost $20 million on a per year basis, if it ends up being less of a market than anybody expects it to, and he signs like a three-year deal worth $45 million, sure, I'm interested in that. But if he's going to take all of their available money this offseason and they basically can make no other significant upgrades outside of trades where it's money in, money out, yeah, I'm not all that interested in that. I would rather make the trade for one of the catchers and still have another 15 to $20 million for me to be able to spend. So for me, Wilson Contreras is below the, all of the trade options. And I think he might be even below like a Mike Zunino or oh. Omar Narvaez. Just Crash. because I think those guys are going to come on the super cheap and you'll still be able to upgrade around them. Yeah, but I don't believe this Cardinals team will spend that money to make it an upgrade. I believe that they have $15 million available to them and they'd go sign uh, David Peralta for $6 million and sign a bullpen arm for five, six, seven million million. See, and where we disagree is I don't think that would necessarily be an inherently bad offseason. I just do. I don't think I think getting a bench bat and getting somebody who can be a fourth or fifth outfielder for you in another bullpen arm, I think you're fine in those areas. I think the, the area you need is an impact bat, and Wilson Contreras is that. I, I have full faith that this Cardinals team can make a trade for a pitcher at the trade deadline and upgrade their team via starting rotation or bullpen. They've done it in the past. I don't have full faith this, this team lacks offense and then come trade deadline time pulls the trigger and gives up prospects that they don't want to move on from and then sits there and says well we're going to rely on these younger players I want an impact bat and if you're not going to trade for Murphy if you can't get Alejandro Kirk and some people think Danny Jansen is that I just don't even with the one year that he just had go get an impact bat somewhere and to me, that's Wilson Contreras. I don't like it because I'd love for them to get one of these trades and sign one of the shortstops and make it a double whammy, but I don't have full what faith if, at this so team. Here, here's a follow-up question for you on that. If they end up going with either one of the trade options or they get one of the cheap options on the on the catching market, so Zunino, Narvaez, one of, the, one of those types of players, and they don't get a shortstop, is there anything else they could do in that mid-tier that would make you think, okay, I would rather have that than the Wilson-Contreras option? Or is it just they would have to get that shortstop? That's the only way that they could so kind of make they get, up the loss. They get the mid-tier catcher? Yeah, so they get a mid-tier catcher, whether it be via trade or one of the guys that are available in the free agency. So they save that money, basically, is what I'm saying. Or they get Wilson Contreras. Let's say Contreras gets $20 million. That's your offseason in your ideal world. You're saying yeah. that's your guy. I want the bat. I want to go get Wilson Contreras. With this mid-tier catcher, what else would they have to do in your mind for getting the shortstop market that would make up for the loss of Wilson Contreras? And see, that's the thing. Like Anything else they can do is going to just be a, well, hopefully, because I'd say a Bellinger, a, Con a, a Conforto, you have the left-handed power bat that can be something really useful for you, but can be stress me out because I feel like you got a lot of those. So if, if you can make a trade to acquire Alejandro Kirk and then sign a Bellinger at Conforto and say, all right, this is our offseason, and then sign a bullpen pitcher, I think that sure. was my ideal offseason, actually. 
then I, I'm not opposed to that. And I would prefer that over Wilson Contreras. But my concern is they don't make the trade for one of those catchers. And they say, well, let's just go get one of these Christian Vasquez and sign him because he'll be good until we get Yvonne Herrera up here. And we'll go get a guy who can be a fourth, fifth outfielder for us. Who's not a power bat, but he's a contact guy. And then we'll sign some lesser bullpen arm and say, that's our off season. I just don't think that makes your team better. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. But coming up next, some NFL quick hitters, including what was a really entertaining day of football, especially once we got to the 3 o'clock slate. Biggest question that I have coming off of that one, do the Bengals just have the Chiefs number? Are they the better team at this point? We'll talk about them next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. We'll get to questions and answers in 10 minutes. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved. Let's start with this, Alex. My beloved Kansas City Chiefs yesterday. Hmm. <laughs> Remember when they were good? Yeah, I that remember like that. Two weeks ago. Remember when I watched them lose to the Bengals with you? I have photo evidence of it. In the AFC Championship game? You cried. We basically just reran that game. Oh, it felt so good. Yesterday. I was thinking of you the whole time watching them implode. Listen, man, at some point, you just got to give the credit where it's due. I said last week, there is no quarterback. I think that this is my like tier rankings right now in the NFL. If you are a fan of a team, and you are going up against quarterback X, which one scares you the most when you are like in a close game late in the fourth quarter? Mike Smith. I think Patrick Mahomes is clearly number one. I think Joe Burrow is number two. I don't think it's Josh Allen. I don't think it's Justin Herbert. I think the second most feared quarterback in the NFL when you are in a late game situation and that guy is on the field against you is Joe Burrow when he's got Jamar Chase and T Higgins out there. It's bleeping terrifying. Because the dude just makes every single right play. And right now, Alex, I think that the Bengals, in my opinion, are the team to beat in the AFC. They are not currently the number one seed. That is the Buffalo Bills after the Chiefs lost yesterday. But the Bills and the Bengals both have the tiebreaker over the Kansas City Chiefs. And for me, I think the Bengals, after all of their struggles early on in the season, they are the team for me that is now at the top of that pecking order in the AFC. Who do you have there? I'm right there with you. I think if if Josh Allen was healthy, I'd probably have Josh Allen with a slight edge. I can't believe edge. you said Mike White. What, man? <laughs> have you seen Mike White? Yeah. He almost drove them down the field, if not for a terrible play by the wide receiver, and I'm blaming the wide receiver on that one. I mean, I think it's very clear there are three quarterbacks in not just the conference. I think in the NFL, it's Allen... Burrow and Mahomes and you can interchange them any to any way you want it but for right now I mean Joe Burrow is the kryptonite to Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes now I watched that game with a little bit of a grain of salt and we had talked about it because these two teams like you're not going to put your best stuff on display in this one because you don't want to spoil it for if they get another postseason matchup but still watching Cincinnati's defense just go after the offensive line and Patrick Mahomes, you could tell that they were in their head a little bit there. Now, 
some of it was the offense with Mahomes. Uh, there were some drop passes and yep. some, like, Travis Kelsey. That missed stuff that happens, bumble. though. And, and the other thing, I got to give the Bengals coaching a lot of credit. I don't do this very often. You hate Zach Taylor, I, so this I, isn't true. I will give him credit, and their defense coordinator is a superstar. That guy should be on every coaching list in the offseason. But they limited the number of possessions in this game. The Chiefs basically had seven offensive possessions. They scored a touchdown on three of them. They scored on four of them. That's an over 50% touch or scoring rate. That's excellent. In any individual game, that's what you're looking for. But the Bengals also had excellent offensive possessions, and their offensive staff took it to Steve Spagnolo yesterday. They ha- He had a nightmare of a game. The Chiefs' middle of the field was exposed in a big-time way. The Bengals are a really good football team, man. I got to give credit where it's due. They are are really damn good. I think they're the most dangerous team in the AFC right now. They're better than the Chiefs right now. That's for sure. All right, speaking of the Bengals, let's continue here. Did Joe Burrow yesterday add his name to the MVP mix, in your opinion, Alex? And is it down to Mahomes, Hurts, and Burrow, in your opinion? I think he added his name to it because he overtook Josh Allen, especially the last few weeks for Josh Allen. But I don't think – I think it's still Hurts and Mahomes fighting for the top spot. I think Burrow is a clear third. Maybe he can change that moving forward if they just win out the rest of the way and he explodes. But, man, watching Jalen Hurts perform against the Titans – I think he actually solidified his MVP case this week for how he performed in that game. That pass to A.J. Brown was just absurd. His ability to run and score touchdowns is not... I mean, it's it's right there with Justin Fields for how they performed this season. So I think Burrow's in the conversation. I think he overstepped Josh Allen, but I think it's still Jalen Hurts' spot to lose. Where's Justin Jefferson in that MVP conversation for you guys? It's a quarterback award. Like, whether it this is. is right or wrong, it, it's... The top five names, they switched the voting this year. So teams are, it's kind of like the um, MVP ballots in Major League Baseball. You get top five. You vote first through fifth now. All of them on basically every ballot will be quarterbacks. So I don't, I wouldn't even have him in the conversation, even if he should be. Even if you think that he's deserving, he, he won't get up there. Grant, but. he hears what you're saying, but you're absolutely wrong. So don't no, bring I, that up ever again. No, I, and I knew it wasn't going to happen. That wasn't yeah. me asking, like, do you think it's going to happen? I know it's not going to happen, but I just feel like a, a player like Justin Jefferson should be talked about more in that conversation. Well, absolutely, because you can't argue Justin Jefferson's the MVP, but his quarterback because it's Kirk Cousins. So. Yeah, you, I mean, Justin last Jefferson. year, I thought there was a real case for Derrick Henry. Because oh, yeah. of the importance of him, he was the he was, he the, was the identity of the Tennessee Titans, who completely outperformed all expectations. But he never had a chance, unfortunately. Uh, next thing, as we go Poor through Derek. some NFL quick hitters here, it sounds like Lamar Jackson's going to be out for at least a few weeks. Yeah, that didn't look good. What happens to the Ravens if he misses? Let's say it's the next month at Pittsburgh, at Cleveland home against Atlanta, home against Pittsburgh. It's not the most daunting schedule, but they've had some struggles recently, even against the lesser opponents on their schedule. Barely beat Carolina, scored 13 points in that game. Lost on the road at Jacksonville. This weekend, it took everything for them to be able to escape at home in a victory against the Denver Broncos. What happens to this team if Lamar is out for a while? I don't think they fall out of playoffs because everyone else, like it's just the top teams and then the Baltimore, even if they fall out of first in their division, I think they can probably still stay around wild card spot. Only one game up on the Jets right now they are in the wild card. Yeah, I just, I, I, it's hard for me to believe in the Jets, but 
I mean, I guess never say never in that circumstance. But you already give it up on Mike White. Yeah, Mike White. Yeah, you uh, just was, said he was the most no, guy. no, 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 man. I didn't. I never said that. But like, I, I look at the other teams. Like Bills and the Dolphins are obviously there. Jets and Patriots. Somebody's gonna get one of those wild card spots. After watching the Chargers implode against the Raiders, I'm fully convinced that that team is just I hate terrible. them so much. Like everyone in the AFC West, with the exception of Mahomes, is just garbage. You'll have the Ravens and the Bengals, and I'll be curious to see what Cleveland... Cleveland and Baltimore will be an interesting one now that Deshaun has been back. He looked terrible yesterday. I mean, they were putting Jacoby Brissett in there on third downs because, I mean, they just had more confidence in that. And then the Titans are the only team in the AFC South. So I think the Ravens will be one of those wild card teams, even without Lamar Jackson, because sometimes when you lose your best player, you make it a little bit more simple on the field, and maybe you're not turning the ball over as much like you were with Lamar Jackson, but... The AFC is just so terrible with the exception of the top teams that I feel like they'll still be there. I mean, it's really hard to to say this after one game. Do you think Deshaun Watson is more of a that that might be who he is now? Or no. do you think that's just a rust thing? Yeah, I think it was a rust thing. And he I was, think it was the first game back with everything around it, too. And being in Houston, I think there was a lot that went into it. I, I don't know that he'll be back on track by the end of this year. I think it's probably and I don't care if he gets back on track. I hope he sucks. But um I think it's probably best for their organization that he does have this little trial run at the end of the season when, let's be honest, these games don't matter for the Browns. They're not making the playoffs this year, so it's going to end up being in the long term good for everybody there that he is getting this action. But, yeah, he looked terrible yesterday. I think he'll eventually get back to being the guy that he was. So, All right, final question here. Speaking of quarterback injuries, it is official as of earlier this morning, late last night, Jimmy Garoppolo going to miss the rest of the season. <clears throat> According to his coach, he, quote, broke some stuff in his foot. That was an ankle. What happens for the 49ers now? Brock Purdy came in and helps them beat the Dolphins, which I I don't know about you, Alex. When you had the, your bet on them for our pick I felt really good about the fact that you were going to lose this pick after he went out and Brock Purdy came in, didn't matter. They he won looked, thirty-three to seventeen. Don't he, don't. He, he looked, he looked Purdy. <laughs> Their next few games: Tampa Bay at Seattle, home against the Washington Commanders. Is this team still a threat in any significant way in the NFC? If they're going to be without, which sounds like they are, without Jimmy Garoppolo, I think so because of their defense. I mean, their defense is winning them games and you have so many weapons that you can run the ball and you're just asking for simplicity from your quarterback in this circumstance. If they stick with Purdy, which I don't think they will, I think it's pretty obvious and we've talked about it already. People on Twitter are talking about it. Baker Mayfield being released by Carolina and apparently it was per his request. Mm. And I think it just happened. Read the tea leaves a little bit. He sees what happened in San Francisco. He's not going to be the number one guy in Carolina, and he's got a chance to go to a team where he can throw the ball and actually compete. So I think they'll probably go out there and get Baker, but I think their defense is one of the better defenses in the NFC right up there with Philadelphia and Dallas. So, yeah, I think they'll be fine. Now, I don't think they're going very deep in a postseason, but I think they'll get in no matter what. I think that they're getting in. I don't think they're any longer a threat in the playoffs. I think they get bounced in the first round. Yeah, I think they could. Well, once they, they get, get a bye. once they go up against the Eagles, the Cowboys, those two teams, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would give them any chance. It's just about everybody else. I, I would at least give them a fighting opportunity because 40, of how good that defense is and because of how good their running game 49ers is. 49ers against the Vikings, 49ers against the Buccaneers, 49ers against the Seahawks if they face them. I would give them a chance in sure. that. But you're right. Two teams in the NFC East you don't stand a chance against. Coming up in 15 minutes, 
Is the Cardinals' best trade option hiding in plain sight? He's a guy that we've talked a lot about, but not in relation to the Cardinals very much in past iterations. We'll talk about him coming up at noon. Coming up next, there is a report from MLB Network that the Cardinals are quote-unquote in on the shortstop market. Oh, baby. Can't wait for Jose Iglesias. We'll get to what? questions and answers coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Yes, I see all of your tweets. Yes, I see all of your texts. We will get to these uh, right now. John Morosi tweeted, quote, the Cardinals are active in the free agent shortstop market, according to sources. And as I reported earlier today on MLB Network, speaking, that was his tweet, John Morosi's. Here we go again, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go again on my own. Alex, your initial reaction to this report of them being, quote, active, end quote, in the free agent shortstop market is what? All right. Trey Turner to St. Louis. Great Mm -hmm. game. was spot on with that prediction that he projected before. I mean, I understand how Morosi is, and sometimes he throws things out there, even if people are throwing their names into conversations to make it more of like, oh, hey, there's some competition going on. But I mean, we've always kind of wondered if they're going to be in on this. And Derek Gould is the one that told us, like, are you really going to go two straight off seasons where you miss out on fixing a problem that has been an issue for you for 10 straight years? I just don't know how you're going to do it money wise if they only got $20 million. The only way is if you really are getting one of these catchers and finding a way to include Paul DeYoung in that deal. That, that would make a lot of sense. And like maybe they decide. I mean, we talked about this with Derek Gould. He said, listen, $185 million is not their budget. That's what they have determined would be their ceiling in most situations. There are certain players that you could change that this for. might not be most situations. Sure. Xander Bogarts is willing to sign. Or if they decide, you know, Trey Turner's the guy. He, he is the one that we're willing to overextend for. Nine years, we always say no to those contracts. $30 million per year, we always say no to that. This is a guy, though, that we think can be a franchise-level player. Now, my expectation level of them actually doing it is like zero. When I read stuff like this, and I hope you guys do the same thing for anybody that's listening right now, think about who, who does this report help? Where does something like this come from? I can tell you where I know it's not coming from, and that's the Cardinals. They don't put anything out there, man. It is really hard to find out legit information on the Cardinals because they hold everything close to the vest. See their trade deadline acquisition of Jordan Montgomery. Oh, I saw that coming a mile away. saw that coming. We didn't even talk about Jordan Montgomery a single time, and I think we talked about every pitcher that threw a pitch in baseball not named Jordan Montgomery leading into the trade deadline. Yeah, you were talking about your guy Gibby. It's hard to project what they're going to do, and it's hard to get good information on them but when you see a report like this the word active is doing a whole lot of work in it what does that mean have they made calls to agents i would be shocked if they didn't of course they're making calls to agents are they actually like throwing around numbers with those agents that's something i would be a little skeptical on yes i that's kind of where i'm at with this too but i mean man if if 
you got one of those players that's saying like, hey, I wanna sign with you, do you change your mindset? And I don't even know if a player would be willing to do that, sure. but with these four players, and maybe this is Dansby Swanson, and I, I, you and I both don't like this, but maybe it's this, where they say, I wanna be in the National League, I wanna be a Cardinal, I wanna play with Arenado and Goldschmidt and win a World Series. How do you say no way because we don't have the budget for that? You can't, so you kind of take it with a grain of salt, but it just makes so much sense because this team needs that bat. Uh, we also have this. This comes from John Heyman, who reports that Carlos Rodon is seeking a six-year deal worth $30 million plus. We can go ahead and write him off, right? So DeGrom's already off the board. Verlander off the board. The last remaining like top-tier frontline level starter yep. on the free agent market is Carlos Rodon. We can both agree they're not doing that, correct? Yeah. No. Six-plus years, 30-plus million. That seems incredibly unlikely by god that's jose quintana's music here he comes six five seven eight oh zero comfort service x line from the three one four on a scale of one to ten how excited are you guys for the blues to finally get a high draft pick this year alex huh. are you kidding me on a scale of one to ten 15 now i'm still not sold that that's gonna happen here's what i'm waiting for to happen this team's gonna reel off another win streak and it's gonna get people back in and then they're gonna falter again and then they'll get another win streak and it'll go back and forth like my worst fear for this team is you miss the playoffs by one or two points and then you're getting a 15th or 14th pick which is still a good pick but like if you're going to get a top pick you got to get a top pick and i'm not saying that they should tank for it because i think that's a bad idea especially if you feel like your team can compete but watching this team and the struggles that they've gone through and yeah they've won the game against the florida panthers but i mean that's one win away for that's one period from you losing six in a row i i I just, I don't know if this team has it in them to do what they did last season and take Colorado all the way to one of the final games in a series. So if they're able to get a top pick, I mean, that could really change some things for this team. They haven't drafted a forward in the top 10 since Rod Brindamore. And for people that know Rod Brindamore's name has been a while. So it might benefit this team if they can get a top pick. The problem is, are you actually going to get it because it's the draft lottery? Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, Alex. Like, I just, I can see this team barely missing the playoffs by a game, two games, and we're in that situation where we're getting that mid-level tier pick, and, you know, you're back to square one, basically. Um, so you'd love to see a high draft pick, but I don't see them being in the worst of the worst to where they're going to have the good chances in the draft lottery to get a Bedard. Now, I mean, you're four points away from being the second worst team in the National Hockey League right now because Chicago and Arizona sit with 18 points and you've got 22. You've got the third worst goal differential. would be eighth in the lottery. And the percentage is not horrible you know, in terms of eighth. Six percent. In terms of moving up, which has One happened in before. 20 opportunities. Let me you say the this. number one overall pick. I know that... I came up with the tinfoil theory. There's a real tinfoil theory going on with the NHL draft in terms of who does Gary Bettman really want to win that Coming pick. Coming up in 15 so, minutes, we'll Blues. reveal our football pick'em. We're going to be shocked by me. the results this week. But coming up next, if the Cardinals, is the Cardinals rather, best trade option hiding in plain sight? Within the division, maybe. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
we spent a lot of time talking about free agency because that's the flashy stuff. And honestly, it's the easiest stuff to talk about. You have a list of names. When you're talking about trades, you have the league and you're trying to figure out what the best fit is. I think that is where the Cardinals bolster their team this offseason. There was a report over the weekend that might help the Cardinals bolster their team. That was Brad Thompson about a week ago talking on the fast lane about the Cardinals potentially going the trade route as opposed to the free agency route. Alongside Alex Ferrario, Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 10 minutes, we'll get to our football pick results. Alex, over the weekend, it was reported that Brian Reynolds has officially requested a trade from the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is 28 years old. He quote-unquote regressed last season and was still 26% above league average offensively. He's a switch hitter, but not in the way that the Cardinals switch hitters are switch hitters. He like actually hits better or hits well from both sides of the plate. He's actually a little better from the left side, which is good because that means you see right-handed pitch more often. You're better against them. Three years left on his current deal. Got arbitration years remaining, and if he were to sign an extension, Craig Mish reported over the weekend that he'd be looking for roughly $20 million per year. It's probably something resembling what Brandon Nimmo is looking for. So five, six-year deal, $20 million per season. That would be what you're looking for if you end up getting him and re-signing him long-term. Now, I was skeptical when I first saw this report in that he would actually get traded. And then Ken Rosenthal wrote last night, quote, the relationship between Brian Reynolds and the Pirates is broken. It is over between Pi the Pirates and Reynolds. It is time to make the best trade possible and for both sides to move on, end quote. From everything that I've read, Brian Reynolds is not a guy that is like a rabble rouser. He's not he's not going to be a problem inside of the clubhouse if they don't trade him. But it sounds like this has run its course and it's over. If he ends up, and there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested in him. The Marlins should be very interested in him. The Yankees, you told me during the break, mm -hmm. have uh, reportedly expressed their interest. I bet you the Mets will be interested in this. I would be shocked if the Blue Jays aren't all over this. Would you be interested, Alex, in the Cardinals getting involved in a Brian Reynolds sweepstakes? I absolutely would, and I think they should. And I know the rebuttal to that is, well, you're not going to trade within a division because you don't want guys to hurt you in three or four years from now. That's fine, but I'd be getting a guy who who fixes the problem in my outfield in terms of not having one guy that I can rely on. Brian Reynolds stays healthy. Brian Reynolds is a really good defender. Brian Reynolds is a guy who can hit you home runs, but more so he's a guy who's got speed when he gets on base. I, I love everything about this, and honestly, I, I, I'd look at it and sit here and say he might be my solution to the uncertainty of Tyler O'Neill. And I don't know. I don't think they would even make a trade of acquiring Tyler O'Neill for Brian Reynolds. You're looking at Dylan Carlson if you're doing that route. And that would be that would be tough. Although Dylan Carlson's still kind of an unknown for some people right now because of the struggles that he has had. Brian Reynolds is not an unknown. So if if it were me, yeah, I would be looking at this heavily and finding a way to make this trade because he instantly makes your team better. That's what I would do as well. I, I posted on Twitter over the weekend. Like it, I, I have no idea. This is what gets really hard, and this is why, like BT said this as well. It's so hard to know what the Pirates would be looking for in return. Maybe they just want really good pitching prospects that are ready to go at the major league level. Maybe they're looking for somebody that is still a year or two away Can in I the minor leagues. you in Dakota Hudson? <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's an ace. I, I don't know specifically what they're looking for, but if they end up being interested in just having kind of a one-for-one -one replacement of Brian Reynolds with more club control who projects to maybe be something resembling Brian Reynolds, Dylan Carlson could be that player. 
Like, he could be a center fielder slash corner outfielder that is a switch hitter. He's 23 years old. He's got, like, five years left of club control. Dylan Carlson makes a lot of sense as a replacement for Reynolds. And then if you threw in Libertor and uh, maybe it's another pitching prospect in there as well because it's probably going to get pretty pricey given how many teams are interested in a guy like Brian Reynolds, I'm very much interested in acquiring him. I just don't think that the Cardinals would do it. Yeah, and that's where I'm at too. I don't think they're going to give up, especially if you have to give up Dylan Carlson for it. They're not going to do that. Yeah, that's where I think that it would get really hard for them is I think this is the offseason where the Cardinals officially have to make determinations on which outfielders they're actually in on, not just for 2023, but long term. Do you think that Lars Newtbar, how do you project him for this team moving forward? Is he a starter for you? Is he a fourth outfielder for you? Is he a franchise caliber player? Is he somebody that you're building around? Or is he a trade piece? Is he a guy that you're not sure if by the end of next season he's going to be in your lineup every day? And you have to ask those exact same questions about Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson and Jordan Walker and Alec Burleson, like all of these guys that are potentially projecting to be in their outfield. You got to ask those questions about them. Here's what JP Morosi had to say on MLB Network uh, over the weekend about the Cardinals and their current outfield possibilities. The trade market, Tyler O'Neill, St. Louis Cardinals. I could also include Lars Newtbar in this conversation as well, uh, potentially even Dylan Carlson. But the Cardinals have this surplus of outfielders from which I do expect they will make a trade at some point in time this offseason, perhaps even in conversation with the Blue Jays about a catcher to eventually replace Yadier Molina. That was John Morosi on MLB Network. Nothing that we didn't know before necessarily, but it's just confirmation of once again, if the Cardinals are going to get involved in these trade packages, whether it be for... Alejandro Kirk or Danny Jansen, maybe even with the A's, if they decide, hey, we're interested in Tyler O'Neill because from the A's perspective, they would be saying, we think he can get back to the player that he was a year ago, and then we'll flip him again afterwards and potentially get more for him than you guys ended up getting from us. So I could see them being interested in Tyler O'Neill. There's a lot of different possibilities. Eventually, the Cardinals got to decide. They did this when they went with the Carlson, O'Neill, and Bader outfield and traded all of the other options that they had available to them, including Randy or Rosarena. Some would argue they chose wrong, but now it's time to choose again this offseason. Yeah, and to me, I've said this all offseason, improve your team in terms of a certainty compared to a hope. And I think the guys that you have on your roster right now are guys that you're hoping get back to form. Lars Nupar, you hope, can stay consistent over a 62-game schedule. Dylan Carlson, you hope, can get to the form that you projected him to be when you drafted him. Tyler O'Neill, you hope you could get him back to his MVP form. Go get a guy who you don't have to hope for because Brian Reynolds, every season, is getting on base, a high OPS, he's hitting home runs, he's scoring RBI, he's doing everything you need a, a, a player to do. Go get the certainty and improve your team. And that's where I come out on this. And I don't care if it's in division. I don't care if you're going to send a player that's probably going to make you pay in three years from now. Maybe Lars Newtbar does become a stud and an everyday outfielder. And you sit there and say, shouldn't have traded him away. But you're not saying that if you're getting a player who's also going to be contributing coming the other way. And that's Brian Reynolds. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved. I want to react to a couple of these texts. But first, on your point of the certainty versus the possibilities, the projections, I think the problem is that certainty costs. It costs a lot of money. Like Brian Reynolds, if you were to trade for him, you're probably re-signing him. 
And so now you're paying Brian Reynolds $20 million per year to be in your outfield. But wouldn't you be paying Tyler O'Neill that or more if he continued his consistency of MB, MVP two, three, caliber? Two, three years from now, yeah. But right now, no. Right now you're paying him $5 million for the upcoming season. But you're also hoping that he plays well. Yeah, but two years from now, then you would be in line to potentially pay for him. And my guess is that the Cardinals wouldn't be paying for him. So their projections are Tyler O'Neill's on our outfield for the next couple of seasons, and then we'll figure it out from there. If he ends up being super consistent, sure, maybe we have that conversation. But right now, there's no reason to believe that that will happen. With Dylan Carlson, and that would be the potential chip that probably unlocks this kind of a move for them, he's cheap for the next five years. He's cost-controlled for the long term. Are they really going to give that up? For a guy that they're immediately going to turn around and pay $20 million to, it just seems unlikely for me. And that would also then change the math on what they can do in the free agent market or in the trade market, where you're potentially going to go out there and acquire other guys. So this would this would be, if you made it, the quote-unquote big offseason move. And I don't have a problem with that. If you end up with Brian Reynolds and you sign like one of the mid-level catchers, maybe it's Vazquez and Brian Reynolds this offseason, and that's what you do. I think you're better. How much better? Well, what are you giving I don't know. up? What are you getting uh, giving up to get Brian Reynolds? Let's say it's Dylan Carlson in this scenario. I mean, you have more certainty there. There's yeah. no, there's no doubt about it. But could Dylan Carlson next year outproduce Brian Reynolds? It's possible. And if he does, we're all going to be sitting here killing the Cardinals two years from now, saying they really gave up a younger, cheaper, potentially better player than Brian Reynolds, and then they locked themselves into a middling catcher as a result. That's where things get really tough for them. Didn't we get the answer to that question, though, already? Like, see the Juan Soto sweepstakes. No, because I, I think that gets misrepresented a lot in that they were, quote-unquote, unwilling to move Dylan Carlson. I think no, they were lot. unwilling to move Dylan Carlson, Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, Matthew Liberatore, and probably a couple other players, mm -hmm. Nolan Gorman, like, all in a combination I could totally see how they would decide, yeah, it's not worth it for us to move all of those players in one. Right. If it was, hey, we will take Juan Soto for Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman, and that's it. Well, then if they said no on that trade, I would say that that's silly and they should be criticized to all get out. But that's not what happened. So I, I don't think that this would be similar to that. I, that's where I would say the differences are. Um, we did also have one other text that I wanted to react to as well. Um, from the three one four, um, guys, does Brian Robinson and Wilson Contreras make a good offseason for you? Because if you trade for Reynolds, you probably don't have the available players to be able to trade for catchers. That would be a great offseason, in my opinion. I don't think they'll do that because that's forty million dollars that you're now spending this offseason. But off do you have to pay Brian Reynolds right away? Can't you take it a year? Next year you do. And so it, it, then it isn't now year, we're looking at the, the pitching staff and next year you have no money yeah. available to be able to upgrade that That's when true. you've got a bunch of dudes that are about to hit the free agency you know, market. There's an easy solution so to this. How about you just raise your budget? How about you just start spending closer to $200 million and not $185 million? Coming up in 15 minutes, Jordan Problem Bennington solved. has become a national conversa conversation point today. The coach made some comments about him. We had a national analyst who made some comments about him. We'll talk about Jordan Bennington, the antics, and whether or not these are a problem for the Blues coming up in about 15 minutes. Football Pick'em Reveal coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time for my favorite time of the week. It is our football pick'em reveal. If you sensed any sarcasm there, that is correct. Did I say that's Tanner? Yeah. Wow. That's Grant. What a jerk. Muscle memory. That's my Thanks. apologies. Tell him, Grant. Every time. This is I ridiculous. Was at Tanner's <laughs> name. Doesn't even look like him. That's on me. No, no, no. That's on me. I'll be better. That. I'm lashing out in all directions. This is not your fault, Grant. <laughs> Someone's sour because they can't. If you're get not familiar right. with the way that we do this, every single Friday we make our picks for the weekend. It is not what we think are the best necessarily bets of the weekend. It is the nine best games in both the college football and NFL slate. We each get three selections. We draft in snake order, and then we see how we all do. Tanner's done pretty well for the most part this season. Alex has been below average, and I have been arguably the worst sports better in the history of sports betting let's see if it changes this week let's start with tanner's picks give me michigan minus 16 and a half they're gonna stomp on the boilermakers in the big 10 championship game this weekend mccarthy surveying inside touchdown ronnie bell what a throw i actually think georgia covers this and i know that's a big spread minus 17 and a half and boy if i need a tiebreaker this week i'll just accept the punishment high snap they got it down and it's blocked georgia stuffs it and now here comes the run back. If this stands, it's going to be about a 95-yard touchdown. It will stand. Bernard on the run. Oh, he's free. And he broke another tackle. Doesn't that just say exactly what happened all second half? Two, to, two in one week for our guy Tanner Hendrickson. That last pick, he tried to erase it from our history, Alex. It did exist. He did indeed take Utah to beat and upset uh, U.S. Or excuse me, he took USC, he took to, USC win, to win. And uh, Utah ended up with the upset there. Another winning week, though, for Tanner Hendrickson. He calls himself the round robin boy. And uh, another winning week for him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were conspiring together to try and get him to lose because we're sick of his gloating during our pickums. Let's find out how Alex Ferrario did this past weekend. I'm taking the Giants at home, plus two and a half against the Commanders. From 58, Gano's kick is short. Oh. I'm going to go where my gut's telling me, and I'm going to take the 49ers minus three and a half at home. Down nine with two to go. Tonga Vailoa hit as he throws. Ball is out. Ball is live. And it is a touchdown for Dre Greenlaw. These, these both I don't feel confident in, but I'm going to take TCU minus two and a half. Kansas State outlasts TCU. And they are Big 12 champions for the first time in a decade. So a winning weekend for our guy, so Alex I held Ferrario. Up my end of the bargain here. And not just a winning weekend for Alex going two and one, but I was better than T-Bone because my spread was lower than his in his loss. So I want you to know. First place. I want you to know. I think you should have lost two games this weekend. Maybe even arguably all three games. The 49ers, when Jimmy Garoppolo went out, I was like, oh, well, he definitely lost that one. I was watching the Commanders yeah, game as pretty. well. And when they went to overtime and they were at the 40, you know, like the other side of the 40, the Giants 40. I was like, oh, man, Alex is screwed. There's no way that the Giants are getting the ball back commanders are going to either go for it on fourth down or they'll kick the field they'll find a way and yet the bko lives in his mind they punted with like two minutes left in overtime from the other 40 
I I was absolutely shook. Well, you know, I could not believe it. I personally sit and think that I should be a millionaire, but sometimes it doesn't pan out that way. Was in reference to him saying he thinks I should have lost. I didn't lose because I was better than BK. But at least look, man. Well, hold Tan on. We haven't revealed that yet. Tanner, no, Let's I'm hear saying. my picks for the week. Going to take the t Titans plus the four and a half points on the road. Hurts going deep for AJ Brown. He has got it. Touchdown, Philadelphia. Mm, I'm definitely well. taking the Chiefs Heist told us minus to take that the one. two and a half points. Definitely. I think this is a spot where the Chiefs are going to be highly motivated. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a touchdown for Chris Evans, who's barely seen the field. It comes in and scores the go-ahead Even they're touchdown. throwing shade at you. I have been saying all year long that I think the Vikings are frauds. I think the Jets are a bit white at quarterback. I'm going to take the Jets plus the three points. Oh, okay. Well, that's a loss. Jets down five. <laughs> white launches. Picked off. And it's over. Intercepted by Bynum, wow. and the Vikings slammed the door shut. You said definitely the Chiefs are winning. Do you know how many times over the course of the day yesterday, I genuinely believed you were going to lose the 49ers game, you were going to lose to the Commanders because they were going to find a way to win in overtime. The Jets looked like they were destined to win that game. There was no way they were coming back, and then suddenly they're right back in it and had like three different opportunities in the fourth quarter to be able to overtake the lead. Nope, nope, and nope. None of that happened. The Chiefs fall flat on their face after having another fourth quarter lead for the third straight time against the, the Bengals. Three straight times they've had a lead going into the fourth quarter, and they lost all three times. It's on me. I got to be better. Everything that I've done so far this year, I even told you on Friday, I came in with a big board. I was prepared well, this time around. I wouldn't do that anymore. Hey, BK, if I parlayed Oh, you three would be picks. winning millions of dollars so far this year. <laughs> I need to start doing my that. Picks. My dad just texted me, and he said, I'm going to start betting the opposite of BK's picks. <laughs> I, well, Dad, if you would have put a parlay together of BK's bets, you would have won that parlay. I, I need to go back through and find out what my record is on the season. I think you I haven't mean, won more than now. five games. This is week 13, so we've done it 12 times because we took Thanksgiving week off. You and I have gone th we so went three and 36 picks so far this we year. We went 3-0 and in week one. You and I both did that because mm -hmm. Tanner lost it 2-1. and one. That was the only week I think that you've so had a winning record. So my last 33 picks, if I had to set like an over-under on how many I've guessed correctly, and you should be right around 50%. The world's best sports betters win like 54% of the time. Hey, I'm 12-12 and 12 on the money line this year. There Look you go. That. So you're right around where like you would expect best to in be. the world. I would probably set mine at like nine and a half out of 33. Yeah. I'm like I, nine and what? 24. That feels right. Maybe even lower. So that feels a little high. So we've had 11 punishments, right? Because this would be our 12th punishment. We've had 11 punishments. Mm -hmm. I've only served two of them. This Tanner's done one. No, Tanner's done seventh. two. This will be my seventh, I think. Oh so seven God. times in every one of those, you've either gone one and two or oh and three. Correct. So let's just... Uh, yeah, I mean, you may have only won five games this season yeah. that have gotten right. BK, you suck. Whatever you BK awful. believes, I believe the opposite. If I bet on the opposite of whatever BK is betting, I would be a millionaire. You I really hope people bad. don't listen to you guys to bet their hard-earned money. Whoa, I went two BK and one. should find a hobby. He overanalyzes everything. This True. is clearly why everything has gone awry. True. BK, how many times do the Vikings have to win for you to stop calling them a fraud? I don't know how you could watch that game this weekend and still believe that they're not frauds. Yeah, they 100% are. Let's be honest. Mike White was the reason the Jets lost that game.
I picked. I took all three BK of your picks this weekend wow. and put them against you. Oh, okay, good. Not really surprising. Just want to reiterate you that we all know that your picks suck I, and we go against you. I had a seven-game parlay out at DraftKings, the sports book, yesterday in the early games, and I nailed six of them. The seventh one I got wrong was the Titans plus four and a half. And guess who took it? Oh, somebody on the text line That's says, on you, though. BK, I, I told BK. you what to do on Friday. All you had to do was bet the Chiefs in the first half, Bengals in the second half. If you parlayed those, you would have won big. No, the the Chiefs actually went into halftime losing. The Chiefs? Yeah, I know. Did they chafe the uh, competition? Listen. All I know is that when you download the FanDuel Sportsbook app by using the promo code 101, if you listen to whatever it is that I'm picking, but don't do it during the FanDuel ads, because I actually am okay on those. My problem is when we do our sports betting picks. Maybe you can't live up to the pressure. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's anxiety of, of performance. Check a blue chew for that, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up in 15 Hold minutes. Hold on, man. We got the punishment that people need to vote on now because oh, BK's God. new punishment that those that don't know, we have three that you get to select from. He's already got to sit on Santa's lap and he's got to do the Sports Illustrated issue and he just served his Pinocchio punishment. Now you get to vote on him either reading a page of Fifty Shades of Grey on air. That's still on here. That's still on here, man. That's been on here since like week five. Sing karaoke during the show, and my personal favorite, which you should vote on on the 101 ESPN app hey, and don't on Twitter. The jury. Oh, well, come on. They're going to vote on this anyway. Uh, he has to sing Christmas carols at the St. Charles Main Street Christmas celebration that they do. Main Street, BK, 30 minutes of uninterrupted Christmas carols while wearing a costume. Wow. Have fun, BK. And we're we're, we're going to come up with a good costume. Why do I always have to wear a costume? And <laughs> it's him. like I'm doing a cosplay for the show every week. <laughs> I don't understand. And some of them have been good. Some of them have been, well, a little un, uncomfortable for BK. Coming uh, up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. If you want to find those uh, on the punishments, you can do that on Twitter at 101 ESPN or on the 101 ESPN app as well. 15 minutes is the junk drawer coming up next. Jordan Bennington's antics are back. They're at center stage, not just here in St. Louis, but in the NHL. There's a lot of people discussing this. We'll do it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jordan Bennington back in the conversation with Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis is doing a great job for us today running the board while Tanner Hendrickson is out. I'm Brandon Kylie. So Jordan Bennington had some antics once again over the weekend. Put a paw out, put a mitt on a player as he was skating by. Put a paw out. <laughs> tripped him. Didn't I think it was a little bushel. High sticked him. Yeah, you give him a high stick. Where his stick was According in his other hand. Officials. He didn't trip him. He got in his way and clotheslined him. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. Shouldn't be doing that as a goalie in the NHL. Ended up coming out of the game, then decided it was time for him to talk trash to the other bench. The other bench basically looked at him and said, dude, you're getting pulled out of a game. Like, what are you doing here? This is really the time? Okay, whatever. Didn't really have much of a reaction from them. And here's Craig Berube after the game. Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I've ever heard Craig Berube talk about Jordan Bennington in this way. Here's what he had to say when asked about Jordan Bennington's antics. Was this a case of Jordan just getting frustrated there? Yeah, 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 pretty much. And it's got to stop. 
Would you, would you that like, doesn't help anything. Pardon me? It doesn't help anything. Yeah, would you like him to just to be more yeah, even just, keeled? Just play goal, stop the puck. He, he hasn't ever come out saying like this before, and you could tell there's frustration on Berube's side. Let me go back to something you said, though, real quick, PK. You said he shouldn't be doing that, getting in the way of Jason Zucker. Why? What do you mean, why? Like, what, what, why shouldn't he be doing that? Because it was a Bush League play. But it, yeah, it was a Bush League play, and honestly, it was a dumb play because you took a penalty. But goaltenders do that. Goaltenders go out and get in the way of players as they're skating he around. He knew exactly what he was he doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was getting in the way of the player, and he was dumb to take the penalty. I'm not arguing that he made a smart play, but goalies do that. They get in the they, way of they players. They don't do it the way Bennington did on that play. Do they go out there and potentially accidentally maybe put their body in a position where it shouldn't be? Sure. Basically clothesline the dude. Like, I'm not saying he was going to put him in the hospital or anything. It was just it was a silly play for Jordan. And if he had no history, I probably wouldn't have had the same reaction on this. I brought, I would give him the benefit of... Excuse me, I'm getting emotional getting emotional here. of it? Sorry, I would buddy. give him the benefit of the time. doubt. But when we get into these spots, yeah. Benner hasn't earned the benefit and, of the doubt. And, and to put a little more perspective into this, because I, and I cite people who have played in the game rather than just my opinions here. Chris Mason, who was an NHL goaltender, he tweeted out after that game. He called it a dirtball play by Jordan Bennington, yeah. which is absolutely correct. But he said it was a massive embellishment by Jason Zucker. Agreed on both accounts. And if you watch the play, Jason Zucker dove across the ice, acted like he was injured, got up, skated back to the bench, and played the next shift. They called the high-sticking major, which they did that because in the NHL you can review the penalty, and there's no other way you can review a penalty unless it's a four-minute major. So they did it, went back, and realized that there was no penalty there. Bennington skates off the ice, and a lot of people say that he chirped the bench. He was chirping Jason Zucker. Now, you're doing it on the bench, and you're skating by Pittsburgh's bench, but he's talking to one individual player that was the reason this whole thing took place, and he got beat, which was the childish part of it. He yeah, gets, I mean, the reason that any of this happened is because of Bennington. Like, it, I'm just I'm trying to lay out the picture here, perfect. and I know big picture, yeah, he's in the news, and but the reason he's doing all of this is because he gets in the way of Zucker, takes the dumb play, Zucker dives, and he goes off and he's calling him out afterwards and it looks like he's talking to the bench. With all of that being said, in no way, shape, or form am I defending Jordan Bennington in this spot. And Craig Berube, I think, paints it perfectly. If you hear Craig Berube, uh, he talked with um, Jim Thomas of the Post-Dispatch where he said earlier today, we talked with Jordan Bennington, had a good conversation. He's a competitive guy. Sometimes when things aren't going well, frustration sets in. Emotions get the best of you at times. It does to every athlete, Athlete, not just him. He's in a good spot. With the flip of that, Elliot Friedman on his podcast, I thought, made a perfect point about Jordan Bennington. He said, you can do the stuff that he's done in the past of bumping into goaltenders and flinging the stick at guys' faces. You could do it every once in a while. But when you're doing them in the same week, back-to-back games, it becomes a problem. And Craig Berube, who made a career of being an enforcer in the National Hockey League and defending guys when they're doing these antics on the ice, if that individual is saying that's enough, then that's enough. And I think Craig Berube's frustration got to the point. But as I said on postgame, I'm kind of split down the middle with this. That play shouldn't have happened. You've got a mentally fragile team. You're getting beat 4-1, to one, and you're – causing more problems for your team when you're just getting annihilated on the ice. 
But I also don't find problems in what he's done in the past where he bumps into goaltenders and he flings his stick at other players because sometimes you're trying to create a spark. This game, he was not. This game, it was dumb. But how do we know what the line is? Like, this this is where I When get you're it. not getting annihilated in the Corsi rating. But most and- of the time when they're losing is when he does this. He doesn't do this when they're up, like, 4-1. to one. He does it when they're down and when he's frustrated and when he's mad and he ends up lashing out in some direction. And some people will say, oh, that's him trying to create a spark. Or is it just him being mad? Like, And that's where I think there's a fine line there of, okay, how much of – and some of this I think he needs. I think some of it is Jordan Bennington has to play with a chip on his shoulder. I think it's good for him. I think when he comes in as, like, the favorite, the guy that is, like – made in the shade I, I don't know like when he gets the contract extension or when he's coming off of a a stanley cup win, that's not the best version of jordan bennington the best version of jordan bennington i think we saw for much of the season honestly when he's out here trying to prove himself again that was the best version when he first got up to the nhl is everybody's counted me out my entire career i i probably shouldn't even be here right now i'm gonna prove to you guys why i should be and we all saw what happened as a result so to some degree, I do understand where this comes from. It makes sense to me. But at the same time, like th- there is a line, and it seems to be crossed too often with Jordan Bennington. And it can, and sometimes does, put his players in a bad spot. Why do I think this was Bush League and, and it was silly on Saturday? Because Bennington's never going to have to respond for that. But later on down the line, now it didn't end up being anything too significant. So I think a lot of the guys will look back on it and laugh because, like, whatever. The the Blues got their butts kicked. Bennington goes off. He ends up getting pulled. So it's no harm, no foul, I suppose. But if something different happened there and a guy ends up, like, partially his own fault because he embellished, twisting his ankle or something, could that have ended up leading to one of the other players on the Blues having to stick up for him again? It absolutely could have. And that's where it's like, it's just unnecessary. I, I think sometimes it becomes silly. I, I think it can cause problems. And it, I mean, look, it it sheds more light on a team that's struggling, especially like, and this was Friedman's point also, like you can't be doing this when you lose to Buffalo, six goals given up and five goals given up to Tampa and six goals given up in Pittsburgh and four goals given up against Dallas. Like when all these goals are going in, it doesn't make much sense. Like you do have to have a little bit of backing that up but weren't we all saying before this stretch that he was backing it up with his play? But Marty Baron, and we pulled this cut on postgame Saturday after all of this, he was on with you and Mike McKenna a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about Jordan Bennington. I think this puts it to a T from a former goaltender. The biggest challenge with Jordan Bennington, and I don't know him, and I've never really spent much time like talking to him, but when I watch him, is where is he had in his headspace? Where is his mindset at? And in the losing streak, we saw him go after the Kings and getting pulled and bumping into the, you know, the other goaltender and all of that. And I'm thinking, that's the wrong side of the line. And then he plays the way that he did against the Colorado Avalanche when they had to injure a six on three at the end of the game, right? And he was like just unreal. And I'm thinking, that's the right side of the line. So, um, it, that's going to be the challenge for Jordan Bennington. I think that's probably why it took him so long to get to the NHL is he walks that fine line and sometimes he's on the left, sometimes he's on the right. Uh, but when he's on the good side of that line, he's fantastic. 
And that's where it, and that's why I'm so cut down the middle because sometimes he can do this and you know the team responds and other times he can't. I go back to that. Uh, I think it was two years ago against the San Jose Sharks where uh, they were getting beat. Bennington gets yanked. He flings his stick at the San Jose Sharks and the Blues actually come back in that game. Sometimes it can ignite a spark. Other times specifically because he did that. This is where I, th- I think I have a tough time of like the, what the narrative becomes afterwards. I don't know that it was because he flung the stick at somebody or he flung the stick elsewhere that they ended up coming back in that game. It's entirely possible they just started playing better. (laughs) But maybe that provides a spark. And sometimes you need somebody to provide a spark on your team if nobody else is going to do it. And sometimes I'm fine with Bennington. But when it's this type of play, when you're already getting beat and you make that play, you take a dumb penalty, which could have been a penalty, and you could have put yourself back on the power play. Like sometimes I think you have to read the room, and that's where Jordan Bennington struggles, and that's where Craig Bruby comes out with his comments. I just think, too, like – it was so unprovoked, and it, it leads me to the question of, and I said this on post game with you, Alex, the other night, leads me to the question of, where is your head at on the ice? Goaltending is the most mental position on the ice. You have to be engaged at all time, which, by the way, he's going behind the net to play the puck. Like, It's not like he's going after this player for that reason. But that's where his head as head is at. Is he's, he wants to go after that player? It, that's where it becomes a problem for me. Is like, what is your end goal here? Like, why why are we thinking this while play is going on on the ice and you're going to play the puck? Well, Carolina Hurricanes game. Like, what are you doing going out there and throwing a big hit on Jordan Stahl where you could have been injured in that game, where you were trying to play the puck, but you were more so trying to get in the way of Jordan Stahl? You get hit, you get knocked down. What happens if you blow an ACL and then you put your team in an even worse spot? There's situations that you can try this, and Jordan Bennington's putting it in the wrong spot, and I just pulled this up. You can't pull – here's where I feel like the line is, BK. You can't pull these antics when you're 0-5 with a 4.84 goals against an 841 save percentage. You could pull these antics when you're posting a 935 save percentage and winning games and trying to provide a spark to your team. That's where the line is. The thing that I have a tough time with, though, is like he's the same guy in either situation. Like Jordan Bennington is the same player now that he was when he was playing really well. This is what he does. It it, it fluctuates. It goes up and down wildly depending on what the week is because he's a very streaky goalie. And that's okay. We, We know that. That's what we signed up for, especially during the regular season. And part of why you sign up for this is because when he's on a hot streak and if it happens in the playoffs, you could potentially go win a Stanley Cup because he's your goalie. I think what I have a tough time with is like our our reaction on the text line is exactly what I would expect it to be right now, where I'm just getting absolutely crushed. And I don't think people should be crushing you because you're it's not fine. The- I, I don't have a problem with it. That's not what I'm getting at. But at some point, there is a line. At some point, it's okay to call a guy out when the head coach who made a living fighting in this league, when he calls it out, it's okay for all of us to just say collectively, that was silly. And so that that's where I am right now. It's just like, that was silly on Saturday. It didn't provide a spark for anybody. There was no magical comeback that happened as a result of him doing something that was, in my opinion, dumb on the ice and unnecessary on the ice. There, there was nothing that came of it that was positive. And most of the time, not all of the time, sometimes there are probably instances in which you can point to exactly what you're talking about earlier, Alex. Most of the time, the stuff that he does doesn't result in anything changing tangibly in the game. A lot of the time, it results in him either getting pulled from the game or it was because he got pulled from a game that something happened. So I, that that's kind of where I fall on this. It's just like I, 
I think it's okay to call these guys out when something is clearly unnecessary and wrong. Yeah. And that's where I feel like this was on Saturday. And I'm not I'm not sitting here saying I'm defending you from people. I'm just saying, like, people should understand, like, I mean, he was in the wrong here. And here's the other issue and why Craig Berube makes the statement that he does. And this goes back to the point that Grant was talking about, about guys jumping into scrums when players are wronged on the ice. If your goaltender becomes one of the most hated players in the National Hockey League, not a lot of guys are going to defend that player because they don't want to get into these scrums every single night. And Jordan Bennington is a guy, like it or not, believe it or not, he's a guy with a target on his back now because he's doing these things. Players know that they can get into his head, and that's how they get after the St. Louis Blues. But if you get extra wax on your goaltender after a play when guys are bumping into him, you're not seeing guys jumping into those scrums post, and that causes more problems. Somebody on the text line says, BK, you're not alone. A lot of people don't want Jordan Bennington as the goalie. They would much rather have Huso back. And, and this is where I'm like, I'm on an island that I've created for myself over here, I suppose. I also think Jordan Bennington is an okay goalie. Yeah, this has nothing I, to do with the Ville Husso conversation. No, it's it's not the Ville Husso conversation. I'm not saying that they should go with Grice, who, by the way, tripped over uh, an imaginary line, yeah. apparently. That's, when you, that know the, that's when you know the season's going really poor. Um, I, I think Jordan Bennington's fine. Some of his antics frustrate me, and I think they're unnecessary. And that's it. That's the only point I'm trying to make here. I think you can win a Stanley Cup, obviously, with Jordan Bennington as your goalie. As recently as eight months ago, we were talking about how the Blues' best chance to win a Cup went away when he got hurt. So I'm not, like, totally opposed to Jordan Bennington. I just think some of these antics are unnecessary. In 10 minutes, we're talking to Dan Schulman. He is the Blue Jays play, or excuse me, he's the Blue Jays broadcaster for Sportsnet. I think he's one of the best in the business. I want to talk to him about their catchers and if he thinks they would be a good fit here in St. Louis. We'll do that coming up in 10 minutes. The Juncture is next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. When you think Christmas time, what is the first candy that comes to mind for you? I don't like them, but candy canes. That's kind of what comes to mind yeah. for me as well. I don't really think, I don't know, if, is there any other candy that's associated with Christmas? So apparently, according oh. to a recent survey that it's was released, <laughs> 12 <laughs> candies came out on top as the quote, favorite candy around Christmas time. Okay. Here were the options by state. These are depending on the state. I mean, before you read that, am I off? Like, Grant, do you think of candy when it comes to Christmas? No, maybe like the Reese's Christmas trees. So candy canes were the favorite in Louisiana and Oregon. (laughs) Okay. Chocolate Santas are apparently a thing. So kind of like the Reese's things. And that is very favorable in Alaska, Mississippi, New Mexico, North Dakota, and Ohio. Do you guys consider Hershey's Kisses to be a quote-unquote Christmas candy? There are peppermint ones. Well, they they apparently have the the red and white stripes. The red, green, and silver 
coating. So like those are those are the equivalent of like Christmas candies to like, well, my grandma needs to put something out in her house and she'll put red and green Hershey Kisses out. So that's apparently the favorite for Missouri. The state of Missouri. Probably because there's a lot of decided grandmas that decide Hershey's to put that out. Hershey's Kisses are the number one Christmas candy. Others that are thrown into this mix include Kit Kats. Don't consider that to be a Christmas mm -hmm. candy. M&M's. Peppermint Bark. Like, uh, oh God, that's nasty. What? Have you ever had the peppermint bark? I don't mind it. Oh, okay. Well, it makes a lot of sense then. <laughs> uh, that is the favorite in Illinois. You seem like a big candy corn guy too. So candy corn oh, is God. Halloween. Reindeer corn is apparently a thing for Christmas. Have you ever heard of reindeer Isn't that corn? Just reindeer corn? Isn't that just corn? So it's candy corn, but instead of having oh, the red, orange, and white, it is red, green, you, and white. You seem like you're a big snowman poop kind of guy for Christmas. Snow, you ever had snowman poop before? No. I mean, they're marshmallows, but they call it snowman poop. Huh. You seem like you're I'm kind of familiar. that guy. Not, not a fan. Uh, Reese's mini cups are another one that is on this list, and Reese's pieces. None of those have anything to do with Christmas. I am no, Reese's oh, Starburst. Christmas Starburst tree Starburst shapes. are also on this. How the hell are Starbursts on this list? I gotta tell you guys, when I think Christmas, I don't really associate candy Whoa, with it, cookies. other than candy canes. That's yeah, it. That's, that's it. the only thing. And for I don't me. even think you people enjoy candy canes it's like candy canes are decorations for christmas it's not like oh i'm gonna go enjoy myself a nice candy cane for a snack cookies are christmas like there's not a, such a thing as candies on christmas yeah, glad we're all on the same page here yeah I'm i would sure. say of those though the ones that i would be most likely to eat around christmas time is probably reese's but that's literally any time that's year round i was gonna say yeah. that's a reese's yeah that's i don't yeah. care what shape they are i will eat reese's year round coming up in 15 minutes the best ones though are the easter eggs no in it's 15 the reese's minutes pieces. we'll get to in or out but next dan shulman he broadcasts the blue jays games on sportsnet he knows everything there is to know about alejandro kirk and danny jansen does he think either would be the next great fit at catcher for the cardinals we'll ask him next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, especially when we have the pleasure to be joined by Dan Schulman. He's the Blue Jays broadcaster for Sportsnet. You can follow him on Twitter. You've probably seen him on a bunch of college basketball games as well recently with the season getting started. He is at D Schulman underscore ESPN. Dan, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you today. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So we wanted to have you on today to get your expertise on the Blue Jays side of things. You probably heard uh, the Cardinals are connected with at least a couple of their catchers, specifically Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk, who could be moved this offseason, it sounds like, uh, to make some room there and maybe help them elsewhere. What can you tell us specifically about Alejandro Kirk in the season that he had a year ago, Dan? So uh, he ha overall, he had a great season. Um, you know, he started the all-star game for the American League at catcher and won a silver slugger. So that's that's pretty good. He's a really interesting guy. In 2020, the COVID year, he hadn't played above A ball. He's at the alt site. Remember the alt sites that every, every team had in 2020. And then they had an injury. They call him up from there at the end of 2020, and he holds his own. Last year, he does all right, hot and cold. And this year... From like middle of May to middle of July, he was about as hot a hitter as there was in baseball. Cooled off in the second half, 
but still a, a really good offensive year. Hit 285, got some power, uh, but, but more than the power, he doesn't swing and miss. He doesn't strike out. Like his bat-to-ball skills, line drive ability, use the whole field, all of that are elite. He'll take a walk, so he's got a very good on-base percentage. He's a really, really good offensive catcher. Defensively, he's improved. And uh, it seems like the pitchers like throwing to him. He's known for his framing. He's good and quiet back there. Arm is so-so, not great, but not terrible. Um, there, There is some concern. Maybe concern is not the right word, but he's not a guy. You know, you guys are used to out of your Molina catching six days a week, right? He's not that guy. Um, he's, as you've probably seen, he's a heavier guy. He's 5'8", like 260. And the Blue Jays typically would like catch him one or two days in a row, give him a day off, DH him a day, catch him a day, DH him a day, that sort of thing. So now that the DH is in the National League as well, uh, it opens it up for everybody. He's a really good player. But I, I wonder how other teams look at him, given that he doesn't really, you know, fit the mold of what your typical big league, you know, stud catcher looks like but he's a really good player and and the blue jays have three catchers i think they're trading one of them i think it's an automatic that they got to trade one of the three which one of the three i don't know um but alejandro kirk you know he's got pretty good value right now given the year that he just had yeah and i wanted to follow up on that with kirk if he were to come here to st louis if they decided that's the guy that they want and they were able to work out a deal between the two teams do you think he can be a quote-unquote number one catcher? Because the Cardinals do have Andrew Kisner, who could probably start for him, you know, 60 games next year, and it wouldn't shock anybody. So do you think Alejandro Kirk's a guy that could start like 100 games next year as a, a legit catcher, not just a DH? I think so. You know, the other thing, too, is the climate in Toronto and the climate in St. Louis. You know, sure. we, it's a little, cool, a little cooler in Toronto, and we've got a roof. A little hotter down there, you don't have a roof. So... Um, a hundred might be, and, and again, who knows, right? You know, things can change. I just know that the Blue Jays were careful with him. And I don't know off the top of my head how many games he started behind the plate. I can try and click here while we're, while we're talking and figure it out. I, I would guess he started 75 or 80. Uh, let's see here. 74 started 74 behind the plate and started at DH 49 times. So started 123 games. He, he, I don't think he was ever on the IL. He did miss a few days with uh, something late in the season. I, I don't know. 100 might be right at the outer edge. Um, you know, he's done 74. He could probably do 80 or 90. Could he do 100? Maybe, uh, I guess. But, you know, part of the package is, uh, and I don't know the uh, Cardinals DH situation intimately, whether they rotate guys through there or whatnot, but part of the package is you want that bat in the lineup when he's not catching, if you can. Uh, and are the Cardinals comfortable doing that if they only have two catchers? Do they carry a third catcher? That sort of thing. But for a lot of the year, he hit cleanup for the Blue Jays. And, and as you guys know, it's a pretty good offensive team that the Blue Jays have. So, you know, he's, again, he he doesn't, like, fit the mold of whatever the mold is, but he's a middle-of-the-order bat. And he's, a, he's a very, very useful player. Dan, on the flip side of that, the other catcher that has been connected to the Cardinals is Danny Jansen, who's a little bit more of a veteran in Major League Baseball. And he's coming off of a season where, I mean, it was an incredible year, a 141 OPS plus an 855 OPS. Uh, is that a one-off of Danny Jansen, or have you seen that trend with him, despite the numbers not being there, where he's consistently a, a threat for the team? So consistently is the key word. Consistently, no. Hot streaks, yes. 
Um, you know, it's funny, came up to the majors with a, a bat-first reputation and didn't hit, really. Hit a little bit in his rookie year, but then, you know, again, streaks here and there. Um, and, and he's had some decent years. He's also had a lot of injuries. Danny, uh, and, and I think Danny Jansen's one of the, the great guys I've ever met in the game. Like, a, and, you know, he's the kind of guy, you, you know, if you, had a, if, you want, if you had a son that age, you'd want him to be like Danny Jansen. He's that guy. So, um, but a lot of injuries. Uh, hamstring, calf. Uh, got hit by a pitch, broke a bone, I think, in his wrist, I believe, and missed about a month. So, you know, some freak things, some not. But he's had three or four weeks where you can't get him out, and the power is there. And then he has three or four weeks where he really struggles. So it's hard to know exactly what he is over a full, healthy season. Um, He and Kirk were a nice combo. Uh, They split the time, and uh, Jansen got so hot that he would DH a little bit at the end of the season too. Um, I think it's less likely the Blue Jays trade Jansen, and I could be totally wrong on this, because they're obviously in their contending window right now, and are they willing to turn the catching over to Alejandro Kirk, who's relatively inexperienced, and Gabriel Moreno, who's uh, completely inexperienced at the major league level, basically. He's got a few weeks. That's it. So I think they're going to keep Jansen and trade one of the other two um, but you know, I'm, pro- I'm probably wrong on that. The staff loves him. He puts, he puts a ton of work, a ton of work into working with the pitching staff and, and that sort of thing. Um, good defensively. He doesn't grade out as well, uh, in terms of the metrics as Kirk, which is funny. Cause I think with the eye test, most people would probably pick Jansen over Kirk, but let's say they're about equal defensively overall. Jansen's got a bit of a stronger arm. And again, he's got like two, three years more experience behind the plate. But he's like, if you told me he started 110 games and hit 220 with 11 homers, I believe it. And if you told me he hit 250 with 22 homers, I believe it. it it's He's got a range in him. It's just about staying healthy and, and having good habits at the plate. Dan Schulman's our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Dan, when you look at those guys that are potentially available from the Blue Jays and you compare them to the catching market in free agency, I think the two guys that get the most attention here in St. Louis, uh, you're familiar with both of them potentially from their playoff experience. It's Christian Vasquez on the kind of mid-tier range. And then if you look at the the big-name item, it's Wilson Contreras how would you compare those guys versus the Toronto Blue Jays options? Right. So Kirk, obviously, only with, you know, he's going to be a lot cheaper, right? He's not, I don't even know if he's arbitration this year. I think he right. needs one more year till he even hits arbitration. So you're talking about a guy um, at a different level of his career. And you're talking about a guy who's a better hitter than Christian Vasquez. Now, Christian Vasquez much more experience brings all kinds of intangibles to him, you know, that he's been on winning teams. He's been a number one catcher uh, and that sort of thing. Contreras, who I haven't seen as much of the last couple of years, um, obviously has power and all, and all kinds of possibilities. I, I, I think it depends uh, on what you're looking for. And, and I would imagine that teams that are interested in catchers are both talking to the blue Jays uh, and probably talking to Oakland about Sean Murphy as well. And, and they're, you know, gauging, um, the free agent market. It probably just depends if the price range of a Contreras is out of a team's range, then you, then you make a trade. You'd rather not make a trade because you'd rather just go spend money and not, um, you know, have to give up prospects as, or players as well. And, and that's the interesting part. Like if the Blue Jays and Cardinals make a trade, 
the Blue Jays don't want to prospect from St. Louis. I don't believe it's the names you guys have probably discussed. The Blue Jays need left-handed bats. So, you know, is Newt Bar the guy they ask for? Is Carlson a switch hitter the guy they ask for? I don't know that Carlson's as good a fit, to be honest with you, but that may depend as well. Do the Cardinals want to trade uh, one of their existing outfielders to fill the catching hole, or would they rather just go spend money to do it? I'm not sure. And, And there's another team out there. Arizona's got like three left hand hitting outfielders. And as much as I'm sure the Blue Jays and Cardinals have had talks, I'm sure the Blue Jays and Diamondbacks have had talks as well. And, and you know, catching is so scarce around the major leagues. It's a, the Blue Jays are in a pretty good spot here. And, and, you know, maybe teams are talking to Contreras and Vasquez first, and maybe those dominoes have to fall before they, they turn to trade possibilities. But um, the, there, there is definitely the possibility of a fit between these two teams. Yeah, I think it's that, and then it's the Sean Murphy talks as well. I think Murphy probably being the all-around complete player might be the first one that goes, and then uh, people right. kind of go to the, those other options. Dan, we'll get you out of here on this. I, I don't have uh, the announcer schedule on in front of me, so I, I don't know if you're going to be on this game. Are, are you going to be on Mizzou versus Kansas this upcoming weekend? Uh, I will not. I will be in Houston. I have Alabama Houston this weekend. So I've done that Kansas Missouri game in the past. And it's one of my, one of my pet peeves, what football has done to basketball, that those two teams aren't in the same conference anymore, but that's, you know, that's like, that's like shouting into the void. So, um, but no, I haven't been at Mizzou in a long time and did the Missouri Illinois game a few times way back in the day. Uh, and always loved it, but no, I'm, uh, I'm in New York now for the Jimmy V tomorrow night, the, the doubleheader there. And then I got Alabama-Houston on Saturday, so uh, no KU-Mizzou. Well, hopefully soon enough, Mizzou is back to to winning more games. That way we can get Dan Schulman out here in in Columbia again. Dan, appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for giving us your expertise on the Blue Jays, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. All right, you got it. Take care. Absolutely. That's Dan Schulman here on 101 ESPN. For my money, one of the absolute best in the business. I think he's one of the best announcers out there. Uh, I, I loved him on ESPN Baseball. Now he's doing a great job for the Blue Jays. When he said Danny Jansen, one of the best dudes in baseball. I was really waiting for him to say he's a guy that you'd want your daughter to date. The first thing that came to mind for me, you tell me if you agree on this, Alex. Oh, that's the guy the Cardinals are trading for. Yep. (laughs) I I don't know that that will even come up if they do end up trading for him. But it kind of feels like the Steven Matz thing last year where in their introductory press conference, one of the things that Mo said, and he's just a great guy. That feels very Danny Jansen-y. Your biggest takeaway from our conversation with with him about Kirk and Jansen is what? It sounds like both options from Toronto, you're not getting as an everyday catcher. Neither of those guys are going to be an everyday catcher for you. You're either getting a uh, really good, I wouldn't call it an elite bat, but you're getting a very consistent bat in Alejandro Kirk, but you're also getting a guy who's probably only going to be starting 70 games for you, which means you're starting 70-plus games of Andrew Kisner. Or you're getting a guy who is streaky, who might be able to play 80 to 90 games for you, but you're getting streaky offense, so you're not improving your offense in that spot, and you're moving on from a left-handed bat. Gorman, Carlson, Newtbar. So, Kirk's great. I don't know if I'd be willing to move on for a guy who might only play 65, 70 games as a starting catcher for me, and that makes me a little concerned because the biggest thing I heard about Wilson Contreras from people was, well, he can't manage a pitching staff. Well, now you got two guys managing and pitching staff. So it makes it a little bit more intriguing now. It does make me wonder. I think a lot of this comes down to what is their confidence level in Carson Kelly. Or excuse me, in uh, Andrew Kisner. Carson probably, Kelly. Probably, Somebody texted us in Carson Kelly. That's on me. Probably zero confidence uh, in Carson Kelly. What is Kelly. their level of confidence in Andrew Kisner being like a 70-game starter for you next year? And if, if you don't have that confidence in him, which would be understandable given the down season that he had last year, 
maybe you do have to go up a peg to a guy like Sean Murphy, or maybe you go down in terms of the expectation level, the excitement level of it, and sign a Christian Vasquez, who's, who say what you will about him. Vasquez is a guy that will start 100 games for you behind the plate. He'll be slightly below league average offensively. He'll handle your pitching staff, and he'll get the job done. But you're also not improving your offense. You're definitely not improving your offense with him the way that you could with a Murphy, Kirk, or Jansen, but he does help you behind the plate. So it really is, man. It's one of those balancing acts of, okay, this guy gives us this, but he lacks here. The one guy that brings it all to the table, and it's why I'm wondering more and more if maybe the Cardinals just say, you know what, it's worth it for us to pay that freight. It's Sean Murphy. Murphy is the one guy that brings all of it to the table. Above average offensively, very good defensively, has a good arm. He brings it all. So that's it feels like the guy that ma- makes the most sense for them, although it is going to come at a significant cost. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, we're going to play a game of in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. the air comfort service text line for in or out let's start with this in or out the cardinals make a big move whether via trade or free agency by the end of the week alex ferrario i'll say i'm in on this ah no i'm gonna change my mind i'm going out on this because i have a feeling that this is going to be the week that john mozalak uh revs up the engine you know starts it out in the snow to make sure that those windows defrost but they'll leave it out there for a couple of hours so i think this is the starting point and then i think probably by next week or the week prior to christmas they'll get their first big move so i'll say i'm out i actually think they will i think they'll make a move this week i think they finish they find their catcher now to be fair if they end up signing Christian Vasquez, is that considered to be a quote-unquote no. big move? No. Maybe not, but it would be for this offseason if that's the move that they decide to make. Because I think their catcher is probably going to be the biggest move they make this offseason. No, so. shortstop, man. Shortstop. Speaking of which, this is what J.P. Morosi of MLB Network had to say earlier today. Mm. One team that I think has been a little quiet, but I am sure is involved in the shortstop market on some level, the St. Louis Cardinals, because while they have Edmund and Donovan, they can also move potentially one of one of them or one other piece from their club to to maybe bring in some pitching. I think the Cardinals have been waiting for a long time, Lauren, to make a major free agent splash. This might be the winner. They do that with a shortstop. Oh, in or out, Alex. We've done this, I think, every week for the last six months. <laughs> the Cardinals will sign a shortstop this offseason out. Like, listen to what he's saying. Like, he's basically connecting the tea leaves, which, of course, yes. Does a shortstop make sense for the Cardinals? How many times have we said yes? Did I hear it wrong? Did he say my speculation is that the Cardinals are still in this market? Like, so we're going off of his speculation here. I also am speculating. And it's not even so much that they will as he seems to believe that they should. If you're not, I also will speculate they should be in the shortstop market. If you're not sniffing around the shortstop market, you're not doing your due diligence as a president of baseball operations. But that doesn't mean they're going to sign them. So, no, I'm out on this. I, I, 
I don't think they'll get this done. Do I want it? Yeah, I really want Xander Bogarts on my team, but they're not going to pull this off. And so, if they do, I'll I'll, I'll twerk on air. <laughs> right, Jim oh, yeah, Bowden? We've got Jim Bowden, who if they do sign one of those he's guys, twerk he's got to twerk for us. That's two people twerking on air. Uh, we'll put that out on the 101 ESPN Twitter account. That's what I'm rooting for. More so than for us to be right oh, yeah. that they should have and Jim needed and I. to sign one of the shortstops. I'm just excited for Jim Bowden to be twerking on our Twitter account. You think, that he'd, great. you think he'd have to fly here so that he could twerk? Nah, he could do it to send us a virtually. Video? Yeah, we could zoom him and can, we could record the video on our it. end. You can always do it virtually. Yeah. There's always options. There's for you. always From options. the 636, in or out, Joe Burrow right now is a top three quarterback in the NFL. I personally am very much in on that. I think he is. I would, if you were starting a team today, he'd yep. be one of the three that I would start with. I'm in on this. I, I, I think it comes down to Allen, Mahomes, Burrow, and Hurts, and. That's where I think the argument can come into play. Herbert. But I'm in on this. Hurts. Herbert. Hurts. Did you watch Herbert play against the Raiders? I don't know what's going on with Trash. that Trash. Well, I can tell you what's going on. Staley is a terrible head coach, much like Nathaniel Hackett is a terrible head coach, but you just got beat by Josh McDaniels. So, yeah, horrible. He's not even sniffing my top 10. I think if I was doing my top three, I would go Mahomes one. I think I'd go Burrow two, Allen three. I think I might too. But if Allen's healthy, I think I'd have Allen two. He's just not healthy right now. A healthy Lamar Jackson, where does he fall there? Oh, he's not even top four. Yeah. I'd probably have him fifth, fifth or sixth. Yeah, I mean, lower than that for me, honestly. And I like Lamar Jackson a lot. There's been, he just hasn't looked right the last two years now. This is like two years in a row. What about Tua too? Yeah, he's in that, he's slightly probably a, Above Lamar, I think I'd have Justin Fields above both of those guys. Ooh, that's interesting. Wow, I think I would have Justin Fields above both. I've seen a lot of Lamar Jackson, and I've seen a little of Fields, and at least Fields is consistent. He's had a 50-yard touchdown run in three games so far this season. He's the first quarterback to ever do that, and he's got his arm too. Like I've seen some throws from Justin Fields yesterday. He made that deep, deep throw that he had on touchdown. But I, I, I think when healthy, I still probably would have Josh Allen above Burrow. But Burrow's number three for me, and then it comes down to Hurts and Fields. Somebody said, guys, you wouldn't have said that about Burrow after week six. You're being prisoners of the moment. I think there's some truth to that, but also I wouldn't have said it after week six because at that point in time, he had only done it for a season, and then he came back the following year and was not performing as well at the beginning of the season. At this point, he's doing what he did last year. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I just have to say, all right, maybe Burrow is a guy kind of like Paul Goldschmidt for his career where he starts out slow and then he heats up as it starts to matter a little bit more. Tom Brady used to do that every year. Sometimes the first couple of weeks in the NFL don't really matter if you know your team's going to rally. 100%. For the remainder of the season when you play those conference games. And look, like it or not, Joe Burrow put his team on his shoulders and carried them through that football game last night. In or out, the Blues will still make the playoffs this year. Out. That was quick. You just, you can't deny. I mean, the goal differential is the telling point. And right now in the Western Conference, the Blues have the same or worse goal differential than, or I'm sorry, the same or better goal differential than Chicago, Anaheim, and San Jose. Guys, Arizona's got a better goal differential than St. Louis at minus 19. Oh, gosh. Like, minus 21 is a very telling sign for this team. And you just can't deny it. They're given, they've given up 90 goals, which would be fifth worst or sixth worst in the Western Conference. And they've only scored 69, which right now in the Central Division is fourth worst. So, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, fourth worst. So, I mean, the goal differential is not helping you right now. I watched Dallas and Minnesota play last night, 
those two teams are really good. Winnipeg is where there should be, and Colorado is hurt and still winning hockey games. So the conversation is, are you better than Nashville? And if you're better than Nashville, are you better than LA, Edmonton, or Calgary? Because I don't know after watching them, I don't think they are better than any of those teams, which tells me they're not a playoff team. Their goals against per game this year is fourth worst in the NHL. Mm. I think it's only behind Anaheim, Columbus, and Vancouver, and Vancouver is like .01 different and than the Blues. And we checked that Saturday in yeah. franchise history, and it's only 23 games, but in franchise history, it's 10th worst. And to be fair, like goals are up in the NHL at Absolutely. a just crazy rate so far this season. So right. that's factoring into that a bit, but... Yeah, I think right now, I'm sure some of us will be criticized for prisoner of the moment again. It's hard for me to say that they're going to make the playoffs in this moment. You can't be prisoner of the moment I with think, this team. I think prisoner of the moment was first 10 games of the season yeah. when everybody was panicking. 20, sure. 24 games in, you're over a quarter of the way through and the season. I said after after um, Doug Armstrong came out, I was like, are we overreacting to this? It's 10 games. Like, yeah. This feels a little premature but Here's to me. the thing. If you take it, it wasn't. If you, and, and I know you can't take it away, but you take away one period where you came from behind against the Florida Panthers. We're talking about a six-game losing streak. That's two, game, two losing streaks of six or more games. Like, you can't sit there and deny that team in that spurt. Now, maybe they're up and down. At least they're not doing what the Rangers are doing, where you're just a team where you win and you lose every other night. But... We've also discussed that seven-game win streak where you beat up on some really bad teams, and now you're seeing what your team looks like against playoff-caliber teams, and you haven't been able to win them. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brent. Again. Unfreaking believable That's Grant Francis. He's doing a great job today. I'm Brandon Kiley. (laughs) Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. We will also give you a chance to win a prize here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I'll tell you what that is on the other side whenever I remember what it was. But next, name. lack of chemistry with their lines is becoming a real problem for them. How are they going to get this back on track? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And this one's over. Penguins beat the Blues by a score of 6-2. to two. Outshoot them 38-28. We're going to go to New York trying to snap a three-game losing streak at the Garden. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. Uh, wow. Yikes. You might as well just like <laughs> leave. Just, just like identify as Tanner Hendrickson from now on. Now and on. Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. The reason why I messed his name up oh, again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just excuse galore, huh? Is because I was looking for this report. There is some breaking news. Do we have the breaking news sounder? This is worthy of the breaking news sounder. If we could go ahead and grab that. Tanner, why didn't you have the breaking news sounder ready, (laughs) Tanner? Come on, Tanner. Get the breaking news sounder ready. Here, I got it for you. Ready with one? Mm. Three, two, one. Tanner! 101 ESPN. Breaking news alert. Trey Turner has officially signed with a team. In the National League. It is the Philadelphia Phillies. Have you seen the money yet? Don't look. Have you seen the money? No, I haven't. What would you guess he got? I will tell you this. The Dabrowski team. There was zero chance the Cardinals were ever going to match these years. It's an 11-year contract. Oh, my God. Okay, so I would say. What do you think the money is? 11 11 years for Trey Turner. 24 mil per year. 24, that's it? It's 11 years, man. 
Yeah, I mean, people were projecting him to potentially get like $32 million a year. Okay, so yeah, $35 million per year. Any guesses on the total money in this deal? Total money? I'd say $200 million. Oh, no, it's well, got to yeah, be more than that. You yeah. made the game not fun. Uh, it's t- it's an 11-year, $300 million deal with a full no-trade clause. So I was $3 million I was per one year number off. off. I, I, $300 million oh. is less than I was expecting. Yeah, but it's the 11 years where you're paying the guy up until he's 100%. 41 years old. Yeah, they weren't getting into those waters. I would not have done this. No, I wouldn't have either. I would not have done this for Trey Turner, and I know that there are plenty of you that will probably disagree with my assessment of it. 11 years for a player that has his specific skill set is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Now, I get it. He's an outstanding baseball player, and over the next five years, my guess is that the Phillies are saying it will be worth it. Yeah, Whatever you, the back end of that contract series. is, I don't care. We'll pay that then as a tax, like you said, Alex, for hopefully winning a couple of World Series in the next five or six, when at that point in time, you've got Harper and Turner in their primes on the same roster together. This is what the Washington Nationals probably should have done. And instead, now they're both playing in Philadelphia. I get it for Turner and for the net. Like if we're setting aside what this is going to look like eight years from now and just talking about what it means in the immediacy, yo, the Phillies are going to be real good. Now, (laughs) really good. Looking at that, I would do that deal for Carlos Correa right now. An 11-year deal because at least he's a little bit younger. 11 years is is just too many to me. But if if Correa would do an eight-year deal worth $30 million per year, I would do that right now. But here's my mindset with Correa. At least he's a little bit younger than Trey Turner, albeit like, what, two years? I think it's like a year, but I'd have to check to make sure. Like younger gives you a little bit of a bigger window with that player, and the back end might not hurt as much rather than a player who's already 30, 31 years old because to get a player – like that, yeah, for- Turner's going to be, he's 29, he's like 29 and a half right now. Carlos Correa just turned 28, so it's like a year and a half so you difference. You get an extra year. Turner will be 40 in the final year of this contract. If you signed Carlos Correa, he would be 39 in the final well, year of the contract. This, I mean, first of all, Correa's going to be getting somewhere around that, especially if the Giants don't get Aaron Judge, because there's a mystery team, which last time there was a mystery team on a free agent, Ohio swooped in and said, ha, remember our city? What do you- Let's localize this though. Like for for getting setting aside the Cardinals, short like getting a shortstop of their own, we have now seen over the last what four hours the Mets signed Justin Verlander. I think they got better by virtue of doing that instead of bringing back Jacob Degrom. The Phillies are now signing some would believe to be the best player on the market. Like some will probably project over the next five to seven years, Trey Turner to be better even than Aaron Judge, as crazy as that sounds, because we don't know how Judge is going to um, react when he's a 34 year old player in like year two or three of the contract. Does this change at all how you view the Cardinals relative to the rest of the National League? It's a question we've been asking a lot, but now it's real. Now the Phillies added Trey Turner. They went there and did it. The Mets decided to bring in Justin Verlander, who's a legit ace to pair with Max Scherzer. Does that change at all your expectations for the Cardinals now? Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, let's go through it. So in the NL East now, the Phillies, the Braves, the Mets, all All better than you. All better than you. In the West, Dodgers, Padres, and if the Dodgers or if the Giants sign Aaron Judge or Carlos Correa, I'd probably argue that the Giants are going to be up there. Maybe. 
I wouldn't put them definitively ahead of the Cardinals, but right now, like Dodgers, Padres, I think is fair. I mean, that's six teams that we just listed, potentially seven teams, if you're going to throw the Giants into this for, conversation. For sure, five. I, I feel good about five of them being in front of the Cardinals. The Braves, Mets, Phillies, Dodgers, Padres. I think th- those five I'm with you on, and the Cardinals would probably be sixth. Mm, man, if What the do Giants you need to do to be in that conversation? Sign one of these shortstops. Is that is that it? Like that's the only well, thing. Well, no, you got to improve. Realistic, uh, you got to improve your catcher position. You got to go out there and get a significant catcher. But but I mean, if they do not sign one of the shortstops, they're probably going to be behind all of that. Yeah, I mean, what? I don't think there's think anything so that you can do. I mean, you can sign Carlos Rodon to a six year deal, but I don't think that makes you that much better. And you can go out there and trade for Sean Murphy or sign Wilson Contreras or trade for Alejandro Kirk. But it's still going to keep you behind the all of the like you're still going to be the fifth, arguably sixth best team in the National League, which to me, I, I know Tanner lives on this this theory of get into the playoffs and anything can happen. Not when you have these teams and how stacked they truly are. I'm I'm very curious to see. I know the Cardinals will always say, like, we don't react to what other teams do around us. And instead we are going to do what we do. Like that's that's always been their mantra. I'm not sure doing what you do in this current version of the National League works anymore. Well, and Ben Hockman just tweeted this out and it, I agree with it. He said, "Is it possible and hear me out that it might just cost money to win now than it used to?" More money? More money. Now? Yeah, sorry, more money. I, I think that that's 100% true. And, and I think that tanking has been part of this. I think that the crazy money that the Dodgers and the Mets are willing to spend has been part of this. I think the Braves now spending like their market size is part of this. Same thing is true for the Phillies. Like the cost of winning has just gone up and it's, it's harder now, in my opinion, to win at the highest of levels than I think it's been in a really long time in major league baseball. I'm not willing to say ever because there was probably a time that I'm not thinking of right now where it was at or near this level, but man, it's really hard in the national league. I think the American league's a little bit different. Because the Yankees don't have as complete of a roster as some of the teams that we're talking about in the NL. The Astros are right up there with the teams that we're talking about. But it's just one. It's just the one. The other teams are not at that same level. I think the National League is just an absolute gauntlet. And maybe that changes. I don't foresee that changing, though, any well, time in the near future. And, I mean, you still got a lot more bodies that are available to teams that might spend to make their team significantly better. And I don't think there's any of those teams that are below you that can make themselves better, especially in the Central. But if you see another shortstop sign or two more shortstop sign in the National League, now – now it's not that you're just the fifth or sixth best team in the National League, but now it's the clear-cut five teams in one tier and you sitting around in the second tier. I want to talk about what the Cardinals can do to respond to this because there's another report. This one just came out from John Morosi as well. When you combine this report that we'll talk about in the in the next segment, along with the 11-year deal from Trey Turner and the five-year deal that Jacob deGrom was able to get, which really is kind of a six-year deal, I think it all adds up to one thing, and I don't think it helps the Cardinals in this free agency market. We'll talk about that on the other side here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Every day this 
This week, 101 ESPN has your chance to score a Cardinals holiday ticket pack. Today's winner will receive a five-game Friday pack for the St. Louis Cardinals 2023 season. It features a pair of tickets for five Friday night Cardinals games, including showdowns against the Yankees and the Dodgers and more. Cardinals holiday ticket packs start at just $54. They are on sale now at cardinals.com slash holiday. You can win right now, though, at 65780. If you can tell us what the favorite Missouri Christmas candy was. If you remember what the favorite Missouri Christmas candy was, you are the winner of the five game Friday pack for the Cardinals 2023 season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, the great producer that's with us today. I'm Brandon (laughs) Kylie. We'll wrap things up here in the rewind today. So there is a new report from uh, John Morosi, and I never know if these are reports or speculation from him, but let's just go with it. Same thing. He said some of the industry believe that Aaron Judge already has a nine-year offer in hand. He reported that on MLB Network just a little bit ago. We just saw Trey Turner get an 11-year deal from the Phillies. Jacob deGrom got five years, some would argue six, from the Rangers, depending on how you want to read that contract. And there was a report earlier today that um, Carlos Rodon is seeking a six-year deal. These are all longer contracts and what we were anticipating this is starting to look like the previous era prior to the pandemic where owners just couldn't help themselves and they said do what it takes go ahead and get the deal done alex this is not advantageous to the cardinals in any way shape or form the last thing they want to do especially after making mistakes with like dexter fowler and brett cecil and others is add that extra year to get these kinds of deal done deals done I think this is an alarming potential development that's taking place across Major League Baseball right now. Well, the difference between those deals that they've handed out and the deals that are available to them now is they went for somebody who had one good season and they're trying to bounce off of it, whereas other teams, they're signing these guys who have a track record. I know that Trey Turner's contract is going to suck at the end of it, but you know you're going to get five to six incredible years of him, and sooner or later, I think the Cardinals are going to have to recognize that like that the theory that they've lived off of is going to have to change because otherwise you're never going to be getting that you're never going to be getting those players that take you to the next level. You just tweeted it out. Like the Cardinals are still in search of their third bat. Their third bat is not going to be Sean Murphy if you want to compete with all of these other teams. Now you can make the argument that that third bat makes you the best team in the NL Central and gets you into the playoffs but you're not competing with these other teams with their three bats. And a lot of these teams have more than just three big bats. They've got four or five big bats, and then they've got the top of the end starting pitchers in their rotation. Like sooner or later, you're going to have to recognize that, look, we could just continue doing this, or if we want to win a World Series, we're going to have to become one of these teams. Yeah, so I, I looked this up. I mean, you look around the National League, the Phillies, theirs is just absurd. Turner, Harper, Schwarber, Hoskins, Real Muto, and that's not taking into account Castellanos, who could have a bounce-back season next year Betts Freeman Smith and Murphy with the Dodgers the Mets have McNeil Marte Lindor and Alonzo the Padres have Soto uh, Machado and Tatis which might be the best trio of that group and then we know the Braves are just loaded right now at the top of their order as well those are the other top five teams in the National League right now you're trying to compete with that you can either do so by trying to match bats for bats or you got to upgrade your rotation or you just throw crazy amounts of arms at the bullpen. Those are your three options going into this offseason. Catcher non-negotiable. That has to happen. 
And then we get into the question of, okay, you're going to add to the rotation. You're going to add to the bullpen. You're going to supplement via another bat to your lineup. I think the price of competing in the National League has officially gone up. There were questions. I I wasn't sure if the Phillies were going to be able to get this thing done. Now that they have, now that the Mets went out there and added Justin Verlander, and these are not just projections, but they're reality. Oh, buddy. Cardinals got to be looking around in their neighborhood saying, we don't have the nicest house in this neighborhood like we once did. Is it possible to move into the American League Central Division? That'd be a good idea. They should, because, they should look into that. Damn, that'd be great. <laughs> hey, you can join into the holiday spirit by supporting this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts, hosted by the Fastlane and 101 ESPN. All you have to do, donate $25 online now through this coming Monday, December the 12th, to support the Little Bit Foundation. You'll receive your choice of either a Rivers or Thompson 101 ESPN jersey as a gift for your donations. You you can make that donation right now at 101ESPN.com during the Fast Lane's 12 Days of T-Shirts, all powered by McBride Homes. For Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, who did just such an amazing job today on the board, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you love to travel, you love cool experiences, I think you're going to love Viator. If you haven't heard, Viator is the world's leading travel experience marketplace. They've got everything from simple tours to extreme adventures, all the cool and interesting stuff in between as well. Well, this year, my wife and kids are making one of my bucket list trips come true. We're going to Sun Valley. So we're going to fly to Sun Valley, and I tell you, the thought of bringing skis, poles, boots, snowboards, everything overwhelming. But that's where Viator came in. They made this incredibly easy. I just opened the Viator app, searched Sun Valley, and boom, Viator arranges a first-class experience, custom ski, snowboard, and boot fittings and tickets delivered right to the condo. It's pretty amazing. Experiences are what we love most about travel. They create these long-lasting moments and make memories that will last a lifetime. Just download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking. One app, over 300,000 experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.